episode of Dub Talk. We have a spooky entry for you this week. We're talking about the uh, absolutely thrilling little anime called the Junji Ito Collection, a terrifying anthology series adapting various short stories by that Japanese master of the macabre, Junji Ito, as you may have guessed. Uh, joining me tonight, uh, we have three lovely victims, or volunteers as the case may be. Uh, we have Lilac, I'm not a victim, I'm a volunteer. <laughs> Screw that noise, I wanted to be here. Well, that's good to hear. Yes. Uh, we have Roots. What the hell was that? <laughs> oh no, a ghost broke into my house. <laughs> Run for the hills, people, I'm it's here. back. Get a, out, a quick. A ghost with a theridin, or whatever it's called. <laughs> Oh no, it's a 50s ghost, even worse. Yeah. It's a ghost trying to play the Star Trek theme. Oh no. <laughs> it's here to play... It's here to play awkward atmospheric music at us. It's all from a stock library, so none of it ever matches up with what's going on on the screen. No, it's that creepy music from the used record story. There we go, done. There we go. <laughs> Alright, we got one um, more person to introduce. Let's do it. Yes. And finally, we have Lack. Uh, hang on, guys. I gotta deal with my acne real quick. Uh. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, bringing out the big guns early, I see. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. I literally <laughs> covered my TV with my phone. That was gross. I, I literally covered my TV with my phone through that entire sequence. Oh, like, wait, wait, wait. So Which bad. is worse, that episode or the fact that that is not the most disgusting thing Junji Ito has ever come up with? Oh, <laughs> I know of at least one that well, is Well, I mean, worse. it was it wasn't grotesque. It was just gross. Yeah. No, no, that's what I'm talking about. I know of at least one that's even more gross. Oh, but that's for another time. Who are you, sir, who's doing intros and stuff? Uh, I am Amon. I'm a, I'm your resident nerd who loves weird horror crap, which is why I'm hosting this particular affair because I love Junji Ito. I have everything by Junji Ito that's been put out in English at this point. And I'll be buying that Frankenstein collection when it comes out in like August or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I even have a couple. I even put a couple books on my desk right here. Huzzah! Just for just for, uh, just for luck, I can look at this the horrifying cover to shiver, which is just very unpleasant. Oh God! <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yes, we're talking about the Junji Ito collection today. Uh, now, uh, this is going to be the format here is going to be a little bit different from uh, some of our other shows, since obviously this is an anthology series. Uh, inside of a couple, a couple of uh, couple characters, no one really shows up a second time, and doing the individual cast for every episode would take forever. Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> uh, so, instead, uh, after we talk about our director and scriptwriter and so on, uh, we are going to pick a selection of episodes that we all enjoyed and uh, talk about primarily the lead character. 
uh, for that particular segment and also talk a little bit about some of the side characters as well. Uh, sort of give you a flavor of what the show is like, uh, and also, but also make sure this episode is not like eight hours long. Because I would not be happy. It would, it yeah, would, be, it be, would be, it'd be great. But no one's going to watch this for eight hours. <laughs> that, that, is, that, is, that is 24 <laughs> different casts. Might as well stream this no. thing if we're going to do that. Exactly. At that like, point, no, one, yeah. no one wants to sit through. Actually, yeah, we, this might be longer than the show if we do that. Yes. That's silly. That is so silly. But uh, given that, uh, without further ado, shall we get started? Yes. Let's do All it. All right. All right, so first up, we have our ADR director and scriptwriter. Uh, we have two ADR directors. The first 10 episodes were directed by Mike McFarland, and uh, the last two, 11 and 12, were directed by Terry Doty. Uh, and for scriptwriting, we have one Jeremy Kratz. Uh, Mike, you might know for directing such shows such as Barakamon, Blood Blockade, Battlefront, and Mushishi. And uh, Terry, you might know for such shows as Rideback, Corpse Princess, and Baka in Test. Uh, Jeremy's done quite a bit of script writing, but uh, among some of the ones I've enjoyed are Sarah for the End, Tanya the Evil, and uh, currently he's doing script writing for My Hero Academia. So guys, what did we think about the uh, direction and the script for this show? As always, there's a reason why I prefer Mike McFarland on smaller projects. This is one of them. That and horror projects. Like Mushishi, well, Mushishi's on horror, but on... I mean, it kind of is. kind of is. But Shiki, though. Shiki, mm -hmm. though. Um, I love the direction on this, and especially the big thing with a series like this is the casting. Because it's so many characters for a variety of different stories, so you have to try and find as many people as humanly possible to take part in all these stories. And while we do have at least three recurring characters, well, there's a handful of like minor recurring characters, too, but those belong to some of those stories where those major characters are, like um, Soichi and Fuchi. Mm -hmm. mostly suichi though mm -hmm. but um the casting is really really solid throughout and so is the direction and i have to give props to terry doty for two things one i think this is actually the first time where i've actually paid attention to a dub where she's directed because i had no fucking clue that she directed baka and test um or ride back <laughs> i had no clue so i assume this was her first time directing and clearly i am wrong and I have to, the bigger thing that I want to give her props for is actually episode 11, episode 11A, uh, the Supernatural Transfer Student story, because the basically that cast, save for one person, is underutilized or brand new voice actors. And she decided- Oh yeah, I didn't even notice, yeah, who exactly. was the main character. The only person who you could count as one of the more well-known ones is Don Bennett, but- Everybody else in that story is fresh-faced, or uh, you don't have you don't have much knowledge of yet. Um, I think Jordan Dash Cruz is in there, and um, the only other show that at least I've noticeably seen him um, was, I believe, he was in Aino Kusabi. Um, but <clears throat> but yeah, I have to give Terry props for taking that risk, especially since we don't see her as a director often enough. Um, and in terms of the writing, this is really interesting. Like, because um, for those who may not know, uh, Jeremy Kratz is actually a young adult author himself. So he writes novels and books and things. It's really, really interesting. I was, I was doing a little bit of research to see what kind of novel specifically. Uh, and it looks like it's more science fiction, supernatural kind of stuff. So for me, going into this and with the script, I could tell that he, the style that he was going with was more of a storytelling 
a novelist kind of sigh, which worked really well because he, he's a author himself and it works for telling these different stories in this, these different anthologies, especially since a lot of these stories have a good amount of narration to them. So the writing on it was very, very solid. But um, yeah, overall, like Mike McFarlane as a director, I am not surprised here. This is great. I love it. Uh, Terry Doty, I was surprised, but she did really well. What she had in Jeremy Kratz is a really good writer. Side note, because I attempted to try and make predictions a long-ass time ago, but I only got so far <laughs> as predicting the director. That's as far as I got. You want to know who I was thinking possibly for the director? Who? Two people. One is kind of obvious, but also I haven't seen this, this motherfucker direct a horror series yet, and that's Clifford Chapin. The mm -hmm. other one is more surprising because was, this was after Junie Tyson. I actually put Vic Mignogna in as a director. Because hmm. I was curious to know what else he would be potentially able to do. And I'm like, you like, know what? Like Just he caught the directing bug and wanted to do more or something like that? Maybe. Because he, he directed Junie Tyson from um, the fall season. And despite problems with the show and maybe minor thing nitpicks with the um dub itself like it was a solid directing effort for vic and i was just like you know what i'm willing to give him another chance let's give him something that would be rather interesting to, for him to try and junji ito let's face it junji ito is not going to be one of the big name projects from the winter season god no um <laughs> so i was like you know what let's try this and and again clifford chapin the only reason why i put him in here i'm like this man could direct anything and it'd be fantastic i have not seen him do horror let's do that <laughs> But for what we got, it makes logical sense, honestly, and I think the directing and the writing was very, very solid. Excellent. Uh, Roots, would you like to go next? Yeah, on, um, on an interesting aside, Steph, um, apparently what? Vic has said he is directing something, but really? in L.A. So hmm. it, may oh, in LA. Little, okay. it may be a little while before we find out what it is. Hmm. Okay. Good and a know. second interesting aside... I in the same way you did. I tried to do predictions, could only do the director. <laughs> I really had no other option than to put Mike McFarland here. So this is this is a welcome sight for me. Huzzah! Excellent. But um, in terms of script writing and direction, it does a really good job with the sort of that atmospheric sense of dread. Because mm. uh, let's face facts here. Junji Ito is really well known as a horror author, but in and of themselves, in and of themselves, the stories aren't particularly scary, other than like the punchline at the end. It's all it's all building up the atmosphere before whatever the the big monster of the story is shows up in the last panel and freaks everybody out. And um, I thought Mike and later Terry, whom I, I know she's a really huge fan of horror. So when I found out she was actually, you know what? I had her as a co-director for this as well in my predictions. For the, really? For the whole, for the whole series. Not, huh, okay. not the last two episodes. Because I, I knew she was really big on the horror genre and I was kind of hoping this would be Something where her name would kind of be associated with somehow, other than, like, being an actor in one of the episodes. Even that's though interesting. That's, even though that, hmm. that was still a really cool thing that we'll bring up later. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh, boy. But that being said, that the, the stories themselves aren't really... 
meant to be particularly scary. Mm-hmm. It, it's more the it's more the build up before the payoff, but right. Um, I I have to give all three respect because it it did a really good job carrying that through. It it almost seemed like it was written like a comedy dub. And and that's not that's not meant to be an insult, but because because of the way the horror is structured, okay, it actually works really well. That took and me so, a second. I'm like, wait, writing like a comedy dub? Wait a second. No, no, I I, I get it. There's a lot. There's a, yeah. there's a lot of specifically with Junji Ito that is. I mean, part of it's like a lot of his horror is kind of funny, mm. but also like as as Luke Roots has pointed out, it does have that kind of punchline structure. So I see. What okay. Yeah, I get you. And um, I'll I'll pass it on to Lack. Well, um, okay, uh, I I will never say a bad thing about M- Mike McFarland as a director. Uh, I He's one of the best, if not the best, right now. And um, Terry Doty, uh, I'm pretty sure I've heard her dubs that she's directed at some point, but I can't name any. Um, but the problem I had with this, with what was going on here, is not necessarily the, the fault of the dub, just some of the reactions to what was going on felt really underplayed. Like, mm. I watched some of these characters, like, in the reactions to the things going around them, they were a little too lenient on what they were looking at. Like, every once in a while, I would just see a character who was just like, Whoa, that's really weird! And I'm like, d- d- are you not seeing what you're looking at? <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Because like, now, like, you, now you say that, I'm like, yeah, some of the reactions I mean, were like, the best. Okay. There were plenty of reactions where people were like, ah! like they were screaming at the top of their lungs, especially for some of the female characters in this, mm. and that was fine. I have no problem with that. It's just every once in a while, they would, the reactions of these people would be like, oh my god, his head exploded. And I'm just like, <laughs> yes, his head exploded. Why are you doing reacting harder to this? Why are you oh. running away? Oh god, know. her head turned into a snail. Oh god, yes. Oh. We're I, we're not talking about slug girl, I don't think, right? But oh my god. No. no. <laughs> yeah. god, like I'm but I just besides that, every it sounded fine. I just every once in a while I was just like this this is not a normal reaction to what you're looking at. I'm sorry, it just doesn't feel that way. But besides that the dub sounded fine. So Understandable. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I also I also enjoyed the dub a lot. I thought um, I liked what Mike and Terry and Jeremy were doing, uh, and actually I want to give Mike and Terry credit for something else, which is if you look at the um, Japanese credits for this show, mm-hmm. there's a lot of multiple casting, a lot of the same actors showing up in multiple episodes. You know how much double casting there is in the English? None. There is two. Oh. Uh, Brian Oliveira shows up in two episodes, and Garrett Storms plays uh, one character who shows up in a bunch of the Suichi shorts, and one random dude in another episode. That's it. Oh yeah, because Garrett Storms was in the circus one, right? Yeah, but That's everything, right. everyone, everything other than that, every individual character, uh, at least like you know, is more than like one line is played by a different actor. Okay, because I was going to say, I thought I heard Justin Briner a couple times. No, well, I, you might, you might be mistaking him for. There's, there's a guy in here who sounds a lot like Justin Briner, but it's not him. Are okay, you talking? Right. Are you talking about Kiba? Yeah, I think it's, you are. The, the, about the to say, well, sounds I, a lot like what him. I mean is, I thought Justin Briner played one main character and then played like a background character. Probably. I mean, no. I mean, I yeah, mean well, probably. But yeah. to be to be fair oh, to yeah. Justin's credit though, um, I'm gonna make a weird assumption. Probably the background was the background character during any of the Soichi stories. He was because... like a 
he was like a bully. I can't remember what scene it was. Okay. What, what, what I'm about to say, because if it, if, if it was one of the Soichi stories, then it kind of makes sense because the main character he yeah. does play is during one of the Soichi stories at the end. Right. Mm. But right. Anyway. Anyways, but yeah, I was I was impressed by... Partially just by how many actors they managed to rope into this thing, because if I th you know if you thought casting like Pop Team Epic was hard, <laughs> no, this oof. is a field day. Nope, this is no. You need you need a new individual cast for every half episode. Good luck. <laughs> um, Go I, have I, at it. Yeah, right. And I, I was just impressed by their ability to just or orchestrate that and handle it because I thought this mm. was very well done given that there is so there's so little in the way of like okay this person's going to be in every episode I can count on that and uh, you know if I get you know if someone there is good I can help me fill in the rest of the cast they had to cast this straight up basically almost every time mm. and I was very I was very impressed nice. um, and unless anyone else has any other thoughts no, we're good. No? Nope. All right, I'm, excellent. I'm right, looking. Let's, I'm let's looking at it. the first story we're about to cover, and I'm gonna have my flashbacks. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So our our <sighs> first segment is uh, the second half of episode two, "The Long Dream," uh, which stars uh, David Wald as uh, Corona, a doctor who's uh, trying to help this woman who keeps having all these nightmares. And is also trying to deal with this dude that he claims that he, when he goes to sleep, he dreams for years at a time. I had cheeky uh, flashbacks. This is this is <laughs> this is very cheeky esque. Doctor Fun MD, page Doctor Fun MD. Oh my god, and, the cheeky uh, cast is here, except for Lack. Oh god, <laughs> this is great. Um, but yeah, uh, you you know David Wald for playing Toshio Ozaki in Cheeky. Uh, and you might know him for other roles, such as playing uh, Tatsuji Chikiba in Another and uh, Murasaki in Drifters. And of course, Best uh, Dad. Well, yes. Best Dad, Herman <laughs> Luis. Best Dad, All Dads. <laughs> all Dads. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. It's what, it's, what's, it's what spawned the nickname Dilfwald. It is true. <laughs> we oh, love no. you, David Wald. You are phenomenal. <laughs> you are very good. Uh, so on that note, what do, what do we think of David Wald in this segment? Uh, Lilac? <laughs> You okay, Lilac? Flashbacks. I had cheeky flashbacks. Oh my god, it's funny that not only it's funny that um David Wald ended up being a doctor again, but also Mike McFarlane directed him because I can only imagine in the booth all of like the PTSD from Shiki just coming back for both of these guys. <laughs> Like it's insane. Mike, 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 did you cast me as another amoral doctor in a horror uh, show on purpose? I don't know, no. David. Did I? I don't know, did no. I? No. No, but um, basically, that's really the only way to describe this performance. It's another. It's a different version of Doctor Ozaki, which for me, because I love Doctor Ozaki, it's fantastic. But um, Kurada is. He's he's also more along the lines of the calm, collected, like calculating kind of doctor. Which is similar to Ozaki. The only drawback, well, I don't want to say drawback, the only difference is Kurada doesn't exactly have as much urgency or panic to him compared to Ozaki. Well, so it's, I mean. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, it was a little less panic. He was, but it, it, that's what makes it a little bit different and helps take, like, make, set the two different characters and in two different performances apart honestly but um it's uh it's very calculated and it's also pretty damn cold like 
that's another difference there too between Ozuki and Kodada. Ozuki wasn't as cold of a human being as Kodada is. And seeing what he him learning about this guy Tetsudo, uh like his condition about these this long pattern of sleep and then just kind of dissolving in a sense. And then him just deciding, you know what? I'm gonna experiment on this girl who's having these these uh terrible dreams too. I'm gonna inject her with this thing and see what happens. And it's just like the fact because that's one of those things with the whole twist thing. That's what he does at the end of the story. And it's like, oh shit. And that was I think that was when the Shiki flashbacks came in the strongest because this because <laughs> I had images yeah. of Ozaki. Um, experimenting on his wife, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, not again, <laughs> not again. But I, it was, it was a fun little performance for that story. And I mean, I can't, I can't, I, I, I never have anything bad to say about David Wall when I, when it pops up in a show. So good on you, David Wall, for basically playing, playing darker Ozaki, I guess you can say. <laughs> All right, uh, Roots. Oh God! Now that you, now that you mentioned the, the whole human experimentation angle. Yeah. <laughs> Who plays Tetsuro? Oh my god, Chuck Huber, hi! <laughs> uh, for, for those of you at home, Tetsuro, who's the who's the, uh, who's the the man who says that he dreams for a long time, is in fact played by Chuck Huber. A surprise! <laughs> because why not? I forgot who is, that uh, Oh god, what, what is his character from Full Metal Alchemist? What's his uh, name? Uh, Sh- Shao Tucker? Oh, it's... Yeah. It... Yeah, yeah, Shout the guy. Tucker, yeah. The Shout guy Tucker. who turned. Tucker, Tucker, yeah. Who turned his oh, daughter no. into a dog. Oh, God. But yeah. Oh, it's boy. actually nice seeing Chuck Huber in dubs, more dubs again. Yeah. It is. I, you want to know, know what would be the real kicker? Is if instead of Madeline Morris's mommy, the dreaming girl, it was Brina Palencia. That <laughs> oh, <laughs> would be the fucking kicker right there. <laughs> Um, yeah, this, I really like this one, because it was a lot more of a slow burn than other, uh, Junji Ito shorts mm. in the series. And, uh, like, David Wald getting to do the, why are all these people fucking dying again? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck like, is this is, shit? Like, that is, oh, it, it's a treat, and, um... And also seeing Chuck Huber as sort of, he doesn't quite know what's going on, but he dreams, his dreams, according to him, last for years and years on end. Mm-hmm. And they're slowly getting longer and longer, and his body starts slowly dissolving away. Yeah. <clears throat> and he's, uh, like, Chuck Huber does the transformations really well. And uh, Madeline Morris as the mortophobic mommy, like, that took... That took a lot of screaming, and I, yeah. I've got I've got a lot of respect for anybody who can pull that off. I here's my thing: I feel bad for any of the for any actors, or especially female actresses, who had to scream a lot. Because <laughs> I'm hoping your voice isn't dead after possibly a few takes. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Like her and um, um her and got, another gotta, one from later. You gotta prepare yourself if you're playing a role like that. Yeah, like her so. and um her and um Caitlin Glass, who we're probably gonna talk about later. Yeah, I was like, oh, God, please tell me you're okay. Because <laughs> this was like, unlike a lot of the other episodes, this is pretty much constant throughout. 
And this was, mm. if I recall correctly, the longer story of the episode? Yes. Yes, it is. And that it, it was maybe like a 10-15 minute segment where... Yeah, so a lot of lot of props all around. This was it's probably not my favorite of the uh of the little shorts, but mm-hmm. it it definitely ranks probably in the top 5. Nice. Uh Lack? Uh well, this is actually one of the um this is actually one of the segments of the series that I actually liked. Like I thought it was one of the better ones at least. Um so am I just going down every actor, or how are we doing this? No, I mean, mo- mostly you can just talk about David. But if you want, if you want to highlight somebody else for standout reasons, go ahead. Okay. Well, I love David Wall to death. He's one of my favorite VAs, um, and uh, I, I really, I, I like how, like, in spite of the fact that he wasn't really meant to be scary, there was something kind of scary about Kuroda as mm-hmm. a character, and um, I, I, I think that. I mean, there's not that much that I can really say, but as as far as I would say the the segment is concerned, I think as he was kind of like the the linchpin of the entire thing, and he kind of brought the characters together. I think that his his interaction with each one of them is kind of just kind of like what was the whole pieces of the what what was bringing the whole pieces of the thing together. Um, See, the problem is there's so many different segments, it's hard to be able to pin down every different uh, uh, performance here. But mm. as far as mm. as far as I'm concerned, I think, um, yeah, it, it was it was a good one. I I really don't have that much to say here, if I'm being honest. But um, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a it was a good one, and I I do remember this segment pretty well, and I think that's a testament to how good the performances were in this one. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. No, I, I I enjoyed David a lot. Um, yes, the 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 cheeky flashbacks certainly helped. Um, <laughs> what else about so much cheeky flashbacks? <laughs> it's like, boy, this is a lot like cheeky, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Which is perfect. Not, not that much, you know. There's there's sleepwalkers rather than vampires, but you know, you get the idea. True facts. True facts. Um, but, you know, I thought he, I thought he did a very good job. I particularly liked his turn at the very end where he's explaining to this other doctor how he's thinking of curing mommy and how he's, he's just very level about doing this mm. pretty horrible thing when you get down to it yep um yeah no there there is just is you just he's just very good and cool and you know initially cool and calm and then just sort of cool and cold at the end uh, and I, I really i really liked it a lot i uh, th- thumbs up david huzzah uh huzzah uh, so, uh, on that note, let us move on to our next segment, uh, story for a shiver, uh, which is a story about a, a guy named Yuji who has a, he, he lives next door to a, uh, a girl named Rina who apparently has this weird disease where there are holes in her skin. Uh, and he just hears her screaming about it all the time. And he has this vague recollection of, he thinks, he thinks his grandfather also had this disease that had holes in his skin. And he's, he's, he's not quite sure what the connection is yet. But he might find out whether he wants to or not. Uh, and Yuji is played by Chris Burnett. Uh, he would know for playing such roles as uh, Itsuki Tomofusa in Blood Sea, Yuichi Satome in Seraph of the End, and uh, Toru Muto in Shiki. Yeah, more Shiki. Because uh, there's there's, a, there's not there's not as much Shiki overlap as you'd think, but there is a little bit. I find that amusing. 
Um, so, guys, what did we think of uh, Chris in this segment? Lilac? What's interesting with um, Chris Burnett when I was watching it, because the big thing really is that this is actually the lowest register I've heard his vocal range go, which is weird to say, because, um, like, I'm used to the Toro Mutos, I'm used to, um, Romeo from Romeo X Juliet, I'm used to Yoichi from Seraph. This is different in terms of his range, so I fully appreciate that it's a different tone of voice that I've never heard of before, and, because it's more of a lower baritone than anything than normal like around a tenor usually that i'm used to hearing him as and chris burnett as yuji yuji is yuji more or less is i think in terms of the story and the characters yuji is essentially the um the placeholder for the viewer in a sense Mm -hmm. so yuji as a character there's not really too too much to him but he acts as the placeholder for the viewer, so you can kind of self-insert yourself into him in a, a little way. Uh, but I, I enjoyed the performance from Chris Burnett. But I do have to sh- make a shout-out to Yuji's good old friend, Hideo. <laughs> <laughs> Poor, stupid Hideo. <laughs> Fucking Alejandro Saab. You could have else played the stupid best friend Alejandro Saab. <laughs> Alejandro Saab. Oh, Sweet baby Jesus, some of the noises he had to fucking make for this once he when TDO was dumb and grabbed what what the fuck was it this jade? It says it's, it's, it's like jade. It's this jade insect statue. Yeah, he, gr- he uh, finds which is it the grabs- thing causing this this whole illness, yeah. and he finds it in the yard. And then he suddenly gets the disease, and at that point where he's like pounding on Yuki's window and just calling to him like help me, I'm like oh my god. <laughs> Well, he knows, how to scream. he knows how to scream weird sounds. He's a Let's Player, for crying out loud. It's fair. <laughs> it's fair. But, like, this is going to be a common occurrence for at least a few more of these. Um, and especially, I think, once we get to uh, the next window in a couple segments. Um, I don't recall Alejandro Saab being in a horror dub yet. No, so, I don't think I don't he has. Because so. So, a lot of ones is usually been, like, action or comedy. So this is definitely a welcome change in getting to hear Alejandro get to like expand his range a little bit just with as, this one character. As far as horror and, and Kagi is concerned, I think the closest he's ever come to it was Seduce Me. And I think that's about it. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. But yeah, I had to I had to give I had to give Alejandro a, a shout out for that one because that was a lot of fun. Uh but yeah, Chris Burnett more, more. I think the problem is with the character of of Yuji, where he's not exactly a, a well developed character, and it's more of a self insert of anything. But Chris Burnett, I again, I appreciate the fact that he had a different tone of voice to him. It's a little bit more of a lower register than what I'm used to. But all in all, I, I, the segment the segment was a was a fun one too. Honestly, indeed. Uh, Roots. Unfortunately, due to the way I, I kind of watched this show, uh, this ended up being the ones that I kind of don't remember very well. Yeah, mm. me, me too, if I'm being honest. Um, I started watching this week to week, and I think this was around the time I was starting to edit Devilman Crybaby. I see. Mm. I, I was in the middle of something, and I had to I had to stop for a while, and then I picked it back up. And then I stopped it again, and then picked up the last two episodes, like, as it was finishing up. 
So, I I kind of remember Chris Burnett kind of melting into his character, which is which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that means I really don't have much to say on the matter. Right. Um, I do, however, remember Alejandro Saw being the dumb friend. <laughs> well, yeah, the I mean, greatest he, dumb friend. <laughs> when you hear Alejandro Saw's voice, you know you immediately recognize him. Right. So. Yeah, and, like um, he's he's popped up plenty of times that you can really recognize him now. Yeah. Like one person I have to give some props to though for it is uh, Ray Gusto as That's sort of the of. unnamed doctor who is supposedly the owner of the Jade Artifact where holes appear mm, on people's skin. That's right. It's kind of implied that he is. <clears throat> yeah, he's uh, he's he appears to be a doctor, but he's probably like, death question mark? Death question probably. mark? Some sort of supernatural <laughs> being? Like he, Either way, he's terrifying. Yes. Like... The voice he gave was genuinely creepy, and I, I really have to give props to that, so. Yeah. And um, our Bruce Elliott also, as sort of, <laughs> as sort of the grandfather who's slowly dying. and I forgot that I wrote a note on our Bruce Elliott, and I meant to bring it up. Just, just, like, jumping in real quick. He gives so much range in a short narration. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, because you, you can tell he's slowly getting sick and dying. Yeah. And, like, uh, it, it was it was a wonderful thing to listen to, even though it really wasn't all that pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to go like that. Hell no. No. But yeah, um, from what I can remember, it was a pretty solid dub overall. All right, uh, Lack? All right, um... I, I don't really remember the voices that well in this one, if I'm being totally honest, because of the fact that this was, like, the first one I woke up to this morning when I marathoned through the rest of the series. Um, <laughs> gotta love last-minute marathons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've done two in a row, basically. Yup. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're a trooper, Lack. Thank you for your service. <laughs> well, it's my fault. It's like, Nobody else's fault but mine. But, um... I, I do... I do vaguely remember some of the performances here, and I, I'll say this: any any dub with R. Bruce Elliott gets an A plus for me. Um, but I I do, yeah, it, it came together pretty well. I do think this might have been one of the circumstances where I feel like some of the reactions weren't super like what they should have been. Okay. Um, but again, I don't really remember this dub particularly that well. Uh, compared to the other, the next two that we're about to talk about, but uh, I don't, I don't remember really disliking any of the performances in this one, so I'll, I'll keep it at that because I can't really go into really any real details. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I enjoyed this segment. Uh, I do like what Chris Burnett did. I do think he. This is performance suffers a little from the fact that while Yuji's technically the main character, he's very much a things are happening around me kind of a character. Yeah. Mm. Um, if, like, to be honest, if, like, Hideo or the Doctor had been in it a little bit more, I probably would have picked them as kind of like, oh, they're the lead in this segment. Mm-hmm. Um, they they showed up infrequently enough that I was like, eh. Uh, that said, they're both very good. I liked Alejandro a lot. <laughs> he, plays a good, he plays a good dumb friend. <laughs> the the best dumb friend. Don't, don't, don't go looking for jade artifacts in your friend's yard. It's gonna end badly. Don't do it. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. 
Uh-oh, and, SpaghettiOs. Uh, <laughs> and I also, I also enjoyed Ray a lot as this just creepy do- anonymous doctor who just keeps showing up and just gives off this really bad vibe from, like, the first time you see him. Yeah, no, I I, I, I did enjoy this segment. Um, and nothing else, I think Chris did a good job of... Like being doing, I like the voice he brought to it. I think he could draw at least of being that character who like is technically the focal point, but doesn't do that much by himself. So you know, yeah. he did not make it boring, which I appreciated. Yeah. So on that note, let's go. Let's go to one of my favorite segments of the show, uh, episode five A, the ongoing tale of uh, Oshikiri, which is about Oshikiri, uh, this high schooler who lives in a weird fucked up house. <laughs> That's that an he, understatement. He just seems to accept. He just seems to accept that it's a weird fucked up house. And he keeps seeing ghostly images of two of his classmates, and he's not sure why. And he's trying to figure it out. Um, and Oshikiri is played by Micah Solasad, who you know from all sorts of things. Uh, but in particular, you might know him for playing uh, Hiroshige Ishijima in Corpse Princess, Yukine in Noragami, and uh, Seido Takizawa in Tokyo Ghoulry. Uh so, uh, Lilac, what did you think of Micah in this particular segment? The best way I can describe Micah's performance is like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation. Because mm-hmm. one of the key parts with this story is this, and Oshikiri mentions it, mentions it several times throughout, it's essentially like a parallel world. Mm-hmm. So, that and those ghosts of his classmates are essentially the parallel versions of them. And then when we get to have both Oshikiris in the same room together, all of a sudden it's like split personality, Jekyll and Hyde situation going on here. And that's probably one of my favorite point parts of that segment is where Micah has to, almost simultaneously, though I bet they recorded each part separately, um, simultaneously played as duality like this one character in the real world quote-unquote or this one in the parallel world quote-unquote because who knows which one is actually the real one but (laughs) it's it was definitely really interesting it's actually it's not one of my favorite segments of the show which is odd to say but um i have to i i do give micah props for playing this jekyll and hyde situation here and it was really really well done excellent all right uh roots yeah, the I I have to agree with Steph here on that, and um, in particular, it has the classic "Don't shoot me, I'm not the clone" scenario. <laughs> yes, it had that. Who do I shoot? <laughs> Who shot first? No, it's not that. It's not that argument. Who shot Jr? Oh no, not again. <laughs> oh, but um, like I also have to give props uh, to Megan Shipman. Yes, for this as mm. well because. She has to do that as well. And like her like normal voice for the for the regular world self. And then she kind of has to do this kind of glub glub voice as an <laughs> alternate world form. That to be fair, Jeff Johnson as Aoyama has to do the same thing. So props to him, too. Oh, yeah. Like like the both of the alternate world forms of these characters are just mm-hmm. sort of this deformed version that Oshikiri has done something to. And do they ever explain why he's trying to do this? I think the idea is he's trying to uh, go into... I I think the idea is he's trying to go into their world, basically. Okay. Uh, And I think he's doing these experiments to try and figure out a way for him to do that. Okay. Uh, Because, I don't know, he's a murderous creep. (laughs) Yeah. 
Because why not? Because fuck I, you, that's I, why. I, why like, I had honestly assumed it was, like, a, a just because I wanted to do it scenario. That's what kind of gave off to me, too, at some point. Mm. But it's it's actually really nice to see Micah Soulsot as a villain, too. Mm. That's, that's something mm. I feel doesn't happen a lot. No, it's yeah. not. Yeah. To like, be I, fair, if you know anything about Tokyo Ghoul, <laughs> Re okay, is going to be a fun time. Re is about to be a fun fucking time at the time recording this. Or fairy tale. That too. So, uh, Midnight. Well, I really haven't seen fairy tale, and uh, Re was recorded after this. So other than that, like I can't think of any other villainous roles Micah Solsad has played, even though there, there probably is something that I'm just not thinking of right now. Right. All right, well, I guess I'm next. Uh, yep. uh, Micah was definitely the standout of, uh, of this part. Um, I, I think the fact that he did have to play two different kinds of characters was really interesting, and I think it, it gave him a chance to really, like, exercise himself as far as an actor. Um, I, I, I think uh, the rest of the cast was really strong, too. I do, I do remember liking Megan Shipman's performance as Mio. Uh... I don't remember Ayama that much, but he wasn't there that much anyway. So that's fair. No, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, it, it was it was really cool to kind of see the whole concept of the different uh, the different Oshikiris and just mm. how kind of everything everything was kind of like crumbling in on itself. And yeah, like I said, Mika was kind of the standout. He, uh, he really, it was really cool to see him play a couple different kinds of characters. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I also, I liked Mika a lot. Um, I liked his, I like the way he was able to balance these two very different versions of this character. Uh, I enjoyed this story a lot. This is, I'm, I'm a sucker for this kind of like weird meta parallel universe kind of horror. It reminded me a lot of a, a book I very near and dear to my heart called House of Leaves, which I'm sure helped. Oh, uh, and House I, of Leaves. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> exactly. Um, I got a very, got a very strong House of Leaves vibe, which I'm sure helped. And uh, I thought, I thought Mika pulled this off very well as far as play, being able to do the thing where like this is clearly, this is clearly the same dude on a certain level, but they're also not. Mm. Uh, which I think I think can be very tricky, and I thought he did that very commendably. And and shoutouts to Megan and Jeff for uh, doing doing the similar thing in a much more different, very different way. <laughs> All right, it's the same character you're playing earlier, but now they're a horrific blob monster. Go. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Glob, glob. Glob, glob. You're gonna, you're gonna die in about two minutes. Whoops. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I was very happy with this, this particular segment. Kudos all around. Mm -hmm. uh, if no, unless anyone else has anything to say, let us go on to our next segment. This is segment 6A, The Window Next Door, uh -huh. uh, which is about uh, Hiroshi, who's just moved into a new building with his mom and dad, uh, and he has a little room on the second floor. Uh, but he doesn't care for this because their next-door neighbor, who is the, lives in this weird house, there's only one window, which happens to point directly at his own window, and apparently lives this weird, old, horrifying woman who keeps trying to break into his room. And he's not ha he's not happy. <laughs> I wouldn't be all. either. <laughs> no. And uh, we uh, this, this is uh, one which basically has two leads, because I don't really think you can talk about one without talking about the other. We have Hiroshi, our, our male lead, who's played by Matt Shipman, who you know from such roles as uh, Hideo Sotomoru in Classroom of the Elite, 
Kazuya Kujo and Gosik, and uh, currently you can hear him as Byakuya in uh, Kakiryo, Bed and Breakfast for Spirits. And uh, the other one would be that monster who lives across the way from him, Numage, who's played by Lori Steele, who you would know for such roles as Big Mama and Gangster. Uh, she played Krillin in Dragon Ball, like way back in the day. Uh, and occasionally pops up playing him when he's like shows up as like a younger version of himself. And uh, she also played Mariko Natsuki in Witchblade, which I mentioned because occasionally I remember there is a fucking Witchblade anime, and it still blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ! Yeah. It is actually kind of fun too. <laughs> Man, the two thousands were weird. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Japan. Uh, thanks, Japan. <laughs> but uh, on that on that note, what do we think of uh, Matt and Laurie in the segment? Um. I mean, because I was saying earlier that this show is the first time I've heard Alejandra do horror. This show is also the first time I think I've heard Matt Shipman do horror. And all I have to say is this, this dude, you need to move the fuck away from that house. <laughs> 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 Go! Leave! No! No. Um, these two characters are really interesting. It's it's. Funny because I think this is one of my this is one of probably like maybe my top one of my top five stories, um, probably mostly because of how the performances went here. With Matt as Hiroshi, he's just it's so unsettling. He's like slowly dissolving into this panic, this frenzy of this creepy ass next door neighbor <laughs> trying to just like. Like, stretch her goddamn neck into his fucking room. Like, I don't know what happened there. But, um... It, his performance is really interesting because it's going into this panic and this frenzy. And, and it's so much fun how it kind of just evolved that way. And then Lori Steele. I have to give props to her because, holy shit. Lori's, Lori's a voice that I don't really hear. Or a name I don't see often. But it, it is at least a voice that I'm familiar with. Because if I'm right, Lori Steele was also Alveda in One Piece. Um, yeah, I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the one character I'm like, oh shit, I have heard this one before. But this, like, comparing Numage to Alveda, this is a completely fucking different side to Lori Steele. And I love it to pieces because it is that creepy, unsettling, and invasive kind of character that Newt Mage is and it's oh it's so much fun like them her and Matt as a pair though they play off of each other really well especially in those scenes at night where she's trying to like call out to Hiroshi and those scenes are just because we because we talk about how Junji Ito is more of an atmospheric kind of horror this is one of those situations where that the uh, the interactions between these two just make it that much more unsettling throughout. And it's a lot of fun seeing these two play off of each other. And it's a lot of fun seeing these two in the show in general, honestly. But yeah, I liked it a lot. All right. Uh, Roots? Yeah, I um, I do really like the dynamic between uh, Lori Steele and Matt Shipman. But I do have to say, it's, it's kind of funny seeing the woman who played Alveda as a character in a show who at the end of the episode is stretching her arms to get at Hiroki's or Hiroshi's window. Oh god, you're right. <laughs> you right. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder With how many casting jokes and all that. It was weird. I'm, I'm sorry, just I'm like what the how many, uh, 
The, I'm sort of wonder if there are more casting jokes in this show than I realized. <laughs> you're probably not wrong there, but but, seri- Anyways, but seriously, Matt, you need to move the fuck away like now. <laughs> move, get out of the house, God. Child it's save okay. Yourself. High school students get apartments to themselves a lot in Japan, according yeah, to you're, anime. You're, 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 you're in an anime. You probably have a decent <laughs> chance. Nice. But yeah, just, uh, just just don't move next door to those greased people, and you'll be fine. <laughs> Point taken. Oh God, you're saying but roots. The, but this was it was a really fun episode that I didn't expect to be fun. Mm. I I expected to, it to sort of be sort of this one of those boring slow creep kind of like there's there's nothing wrong with with slow tension building horror. But it, it doesn't lend itself very well to, like, a longer format. It Like, if it were one of the, the five-minute segments on the episode. <clears throat> but it, it was the performances of Matt Shipman and Laurie Steele that kind of made it more entertaining than it <clears throat> than I thought it would have been. Because mm-hmm. they, they play off each other very, very well. I agree. Um, uh, Lack. All right. Well, um, I will say this for Matt Shipman as Hiroshi. He was one of the instances where I thought the reaction was good. Like as like to the reaction of somebody who keeps trying to reach in th- to your window through their window up on like the second floor of a house. Yeah, I kind of bought that he was kind of freaked out by that. And uh, Lori Steele is uh, Numage. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, I thought she sounded really creepy. It, it sound it, it it really worked for the character, and I, I think she pulled off that just really uncomfortableness that the character really needed to have because of the voyeurism of this particular segment. Um, there's not really that much to say because it's kind of it's one of those where he tries to prove that what's going on is happening, but he's never able to actually prove it, and then it just kind of ends with this suspenseful "Oh God, she's gonna get him" kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, for for the impact that that the short actually made, I think uh, the actor, the two main actors, did a really great job. So I really don't have much to add to what you guys have. So, yeah. Neato. Yeah. No, I'm I'm very much in agreement. I thought um, both these performances were very strong, which which is good because I feel like in order for this segment to work, you need you need that interplay to work well. Because I mean, there there are other characters in this segment, but this is basically a two person show. Right. Uh, Hiroshi tries to keep her out and she tries to get in. Um, I especially like Lori, just, she, she's so wonderfully creepy. I like that whole bit where, like, she's sort of talking to him very honestly. Like, you said, the shot of, like, her arms stretching out across the gap between their houses. Uh, and it was just, uh, mm, I'm unsettled. Yes. Oof. I'm kind of, kind of glad none of my windows face another building right now. <laughs> uh... I get wigged out very easily for a guy who likes likes horror, and it's it sometimes doesn't end very well for me. Um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed this a lot. Uh, prop, props to you, both of you, Matt and Laura. You were both very, very good. And without further ado, we'll go on to one of the weirder segments in this show. Speaking I think. of lack of privacy, <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, we have sec we have section seven B, town of no roads. Uh, this is all about a woman named uh, Psycho. Uh, who has suddenly found that her family keep trying to drill holes in the walls of a room and spy on her. And that's not and, the weird uh, part. 
No, well, that's not even the weird part. That's just that's just that's just that's the setup. That's not even the weird part. Um, she and she, to eventually the part where she tries to uh, initially go to her aunt's house and then later just try and leave town. Mm. And she founds that town has become this weird boarded off segment where there is no privacy and everyone just kind of wanders in everybody's house at all time. Oh, and there's a serial killer running around. Oh yeah, by the way, serial killers. So, what? By, by the by, uh, so she has that to worry about too. <laughs> and um. Psycho is played by Jeannie Toronto, who you might know for such roles as uh, Mikoto Asuka in Yamada Kundam's Seven Witches, uh, Visha Serebrekov in Tanya of the Evil, and uh, Riko Sukariachi in uh, Love Life Sunshine, because why not? It's the whole spectrum of anime right there. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, what do we think about the uh, Jeannie in this segment? Lilac? I think she's also one where I haven't seen in a horror dub yet, and this is awesome. Uh... <laughs> There's a lot of people like that. Um, the big thing with Jeannie is that she has this real... For Psycho, she has a real sense of urgency. Mm. And urgency and slight paranoia. Uh, especially during the setup where she's just like, why are you spying on me? you got to stop spying on me. And the family's just like, no, we're not. What are you talking about? Even to the point where she's just like violently hurting them as they're trying to peep in on her. Yeah, she ends up, like, jabbing them in the eye and stuff like that, and, like, yep. breaking their fingers. It's It gets bad. Yeah. And the sense of urgency and paranoia that she has throughout that's kind of just building and going is is a lot of fun, and I enjoy it. Um, but I also want to give shout-outs to Ian Sinclair as Jack the Ripper, the serial killer, and um, Carly Mosier as the aunts. I know. Yeah, I was gonna say she, the, yeah. the oh. best character. Yes, because Ian. The aunt that don't give no fucks. No yes. Nope. <laughs> Ian is very good at playing menacing when he really wants to be, and it really shows here. Like um, the dream sequence during the beginning of the story is very unsettling and very like like a murderous intent and Ian gets that across very well and it kind of continues throughout um Carly Mosier though oh my god like she's just her performance is really interesting because when we first meet her it's this sense of like like she's basically lost her fucking mind uh, it's like, oh, it's okay. Let's just be naked and just let people go in through us. It doesn't matter anymore. And then when at, towards the end of that story, because I think the big twist of anything that happens is because Psycho, she's trying to escape and she runs into Ian's character um, who helped her at first get to her aunt's house. And um, he's he, he know she notices, oh, hey, that's that promise ring that that guy in my dream was trying to give to me um and he's about to murder her but all of a sudden the aunt comes in murders the serial killer and it's not in a fit of crazy psychotic like cuckoo-ness it was really kind of playing it straight and she's just like if you keep following the river you'll make it out and she just leaves i'm like what <laughs> it's a really weird shift in tone and character and i in terms of the the actual story that's kind of the weaker part is that shift in her character um but how carly plays it is actually really well done and i enjoyed it a lot but genie genie definitely had a lot of urgency uh and paranoia to her and that really carried through the entire story and i enjoyed it a lot excellent all right uh roots 
yeah, this this would probably be another one of the segments that would be in my top five. Okay. Again, probably not my favorite. I, I'm not exactly sure if we're covering my favorite one, but if we're not, I'll get to that in Final Thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um... I really like Jeannie Torado's performance because there's just the slightest hint of paranoia, mm -hmm. but considering everything that happened before she got to this town, like it's, it's kind of justified really. Yeah. And then I, I really like that Ian Sinclair kind of goes, it goes from this helpful neighbor type when he's first introduced just sort of the, the menace when he reveals himself to be the, the serial killer. And um, it it shows why Ian Sinclair is, pro is among my favorite actors at Funimation. Because his, his range is just insane. And um, I, I really also kind of have to give a, a shout out to Carly Mosier as sort of the formerly prude but now, you know, let it all fly out. Let it all hang out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> literally. He's between your knees tight. I I got a few chuckles that felt like they were deserved out of out of the episode. It was it was goofy, but at the same time, like it it still kind of kept that uneasy air to it. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, yeah, all of the uh, performances were good, and I really liked the segment. Excellent. All right. Lack? All right. Well, I'm going to pretty much mimic what you guys said. I thought Jeannie Tarada was pretty good as Psycho. I thought she made a compelling performance for the main character. Uh, I love Ian Sinclair in anything he does. He always brings that lovely Sinclairness to his role. Um, but, yeah, Carly Moisier was the standout just because she was the most memorable character. Right. Out of anybody here. And just the fact that, like, she sounded crazy. Like, like Carly Mosier really sold the craziness of of Tamie. and like you could tell. I mean, for the, even though it was funny, the moment she walks in and the aunt is literally like presenting herself, and like, like Psycho just doesn't know how to react to this. Like, Carly Mosier makes it scary. Like, yeah. kind of scary of how <laughs> just completely jaded this woman really is. Like, and I I think she was absolutely the standout. And she might have been the standout for the entire series, in my opinion. Because I think I remember Tavia more than I remember any other character as well. That's not how you say Fuchi, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to her, we'll though. get to her. <laughs> But yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts. Uh, this actually was one of the better segments, in mm. my opinion, too. So, even though right. I didn't quite understand what the hell was going on at first, yeah, so, like I thought it was supposed to be about dreams, and then yeah. it stopped being about dreams. That's that's like, why yeah, that's I, why I'm, that's why this is not one of my favorite stories. It that's be, it's because you don't exactly know what's going on, and they introduce a lot of elements to the story that don't really get brought up much. That's why I'm like, eh. Not one of my favorite stories, but it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've not read this particular short story, but from one, some of the ones I have, I do know stuff occasionally got shaved off for time in some of these segments. Right. And I'm wondering if that's another instance in here. It's a good chance. Uh, yeah. If nothing, if nothing else, you think the freaky eyeball creatures would show up a little more often. <laughs> True facts. <laughs> oh, we didn't even mention them. Yeah. It's, oh yeah, it's that's weird. right. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I did enjoy, I enjoyed this segment. Uh, I, I liked Jeannie's performance as somebody who is just found that like society around her started to break down suddenly and is just trying her best to find just to go somewhere where like normal normalcy has remained. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really enjoyed Carly Moser a lot. And I, I liked her just the way that she played up like her aunt who had the exact opposite reaction of like, I'm just going to embrace the fact that all the rules of, you know, good behavior that we sort of supposed to follow have just, are just gone. <laughs> and just like, you know, we, we it's, she was just delightful. Um, I, I like Dean Sinclair a lot in part because I don't, I'm not sure if he, I don't know about Dunnan in general, but I feel like I usually don't see Ian Sinclair playing villains that, that often in my own experience. Mm. Uh, and it turns out he's really good at it. So maybe I should fix that. <laughs> he was a lot of fun. Like he's got a really nice air of menace to him when he wants yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I liked about this. This, this, the, the dub did a good job of maintaining that just era of menace and paranoia, just in terms of like, what the fuck is going on? Why can't I just leave? I just want to leave. Why? <laughs> He's like, I gotta go. I gotta yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, this this was a weird one, but I kind of enjoyed it. It was very, it's very much, uh, it's very much the weird pulse side of the show, which I always like when it um, pops up. Um, but on that note, uh, let's go. Let's go to another really fucked up one. <laughs> yeah. This I, one's I, one. I, of, this one's one of my favorites. This one's one of my favorites. I had to look up this this one to, re- to remember it, and when I did, I was like, oh, that one. Yeah, that one. Okay. This, this one's is, one of my favorites. This is this is segment 8A, Honored Ancestors. And Honored, Honored Ancestors is about a lovely little couple, Risa and Nikita. And unfortunately, Risa, for reasons unknown to anybody, has just lost her memory. And Nikita's trying to, like, take care of her and remember that they were engaged to be married. And it tur- and he's very insistent on this because it turns out he needs to summon an heir because in his family, uh, when your uh, parent dies, you have to, uh, you have to like, cut their sc- scalp off and attach it to this giant chain of scalps that is all of your ancestors going back for forever. And you become the bottom of that chain, and he needs to have a kid before that happens, and he's just stuck in his house. <laughs> this episode is so fucked up. I love it, though! I'm sorry! It's great. I don't, it's just so I don't even think he cuts the, the scalp off. I think it just kind of... No, it just gets I ripped off, I think. Kind of comes it, 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 off like a... Um, like that's, a Cronenberg monster. Oh god! That, that's what's worse. In that's what's worse. In the manga, they explicitly show like, no, he carves his scalp off to do that. Oh, like it's shit. Really okay. Like, I was, I'm assuming that got changed because there's no way in hell they're gonna get away with that on like broadcast TV. And yet somehow, no, 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 no. I don't and know he, why they wanted to make this a TV anime in the first place. No, no, no. And here's the thing: they may not have been able to get away with that, but for some reason they got away with showing Tommy's nipples from the previous yeah. fucking story. I don't know. I how, don't know, man. But I love this story. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> I don't know why they just didn't want to make this like an OVA or something instead. I'm guessing money was involved somehow. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, and, and Crunchyroll got involved like at the production, yeah. Level, so that probably had a factor in it too. Possibly, oh. yes. Anyway, anyways, um, our two leads are they're Makita and Risa. Makita is played by Christopher Werecamp, <laughs> who you might know for playing. Uh, he's he's currently the voice. Sorry, he's currently the voice of Eraserhead in My Hero Academia. <laughs> he played um, Rokusoke Koenji in Classroom of the Elite, and you can currently hear him playing a uh, Kodai in Star Blazers twenty one ninety nine. And Risa is played by Caitlin Glass, who you know from all sorts of things. Uh, 
But currently, you know her. You probably know her for such stuff as playing Haruki in Oran High School Host Club. She's Kyoko Magomi in Skip Beat, and you can also hear in My Hero Academia playing Mina. Uh, so, what do we think of our two leads in this thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who somehow convinced us to do this one because I love this fucking one. Um. So, Caitlin Glass, she's she's a fun damsel in distress who's amnesia, who has amnesia and all this fun stuff. I like I like the performance. She screams a lot. She's the other one where I'm concerned, where it's like, hey, are your vocal cords okay after this? Uh, and I thought the performance was really good. I'm here to talk about Christopher fucking Waycamp. This <laughs> bastard. <laughs> oh my god. Like, this performance, uh, another person I don't think I've ever seen a horror dub, first of all. But... <laughs> Which is weird, considering he's got the voice for it. Yeah. But... That's the thing. Like... Makita was is a character that was kind of unassuming, unsuspecting. Like he really cares about Risa. He wants to try and get all her memories back. But then we learn this secret, and that's when the like the switch gets flipped. And oh, sweet baby Jesus! I did not know that Chris Wakeham had this in him. Hmm. Going going through like going through and seeing him. Uh, <laughs> Essentially, just go full panic mode on Risa and like, I need to have an heir, I need to have an heir, or this is gonna die. And like, him just because I'm because again, I've never seen Chris Wakeham do horror before, but what's very interesting is how the character of Makita progressed to this this sheer panic and continuing the line because they fully believe in this tradition of theirs and this family and it's just a very interesting shift in character and it's funny because the characters I'm used to Chris playing a lot of it's more of the stoic characters more of the stoic um, straightforward characters I mean he gets to branch out once in a while because um <clears throat> Royal, tu Royal Tudor is a thing that exists in Bruno, but not to an extent like this where it's full panic, full, like, like this man's on a mission here. He, he, he needs to make, he needs to make sure Risa knows. He needs to make sure that Risa stays <laughs> or they're all screwed. <laughs> it's, this is one of the more unsettling stories to me. Because of how unsettling Chris's performance of Makita was to me. And I was just like, I just had chills and I loved it. And oh my sweet baby Jesus. This man needs to do more horror. Can that happen now, please? Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> uh, uh, Roots. Yeah, um, I'm largely going to go off a lot of what Steph said. But um, in addition, like... I, I don't actually know the names that are associated with this, but um, I have to give a shout out to like everybody who who sort of all, yeah all, all the Walla playing all, yeah, the, all like, the, the yeah ancestors yeah yeah, yeah. all all the yeah. all the people doing the Walla for the foreheads yes that was also because it was because that that gave me chills especially toward the end where they're just like oh yeah break her legs so she can't escape yeah. <laughs> That too. We Ooh. need an heir. <laughs> we need an heir. Keep this woman. Like it. It was genuinely creepy, and um, 
like Caitlin Glass did a really good job at selling the uh, the sort of omnipresent sort of chill. Yeah, but let's face no, it, the no. real reason why we're here is Chris Waycamp. <laughs> yeah, let's face it. Like, like he goes from like loving husband to don't go. I need to put my seed in you so that my forehead <laughs> grandparents will live. <laughs> that description is perfect, actually. <laughs> oh, God. Yeesh. Don't go. I need babies. <laughs> like, it, it's, 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 I couldn't help but laugh a little bit during it. Yeah. But it was, it, like, the episode itself was just so fun. Just how weird and absurd it got toward the end. Yeah. Because you, you don't know the cause for her amnesia, and then it's, oh. Because <laughs> PTSD. It was, traumatic, it was a traumatic memory of watching... Didn't she watch the last no, time she, it happened? No, she just sees his dad. Yeah, oh, okay. And, like, this giant endless string of foreheads coming off his head. Yep. And that horribly traumatizes her so much that she just gets amnesia. Yep. Ah. It's like, and nope, can we, this is preferable to remembering that. Nope. Can we it's talk like, for a second about the nightmare sequence with the giant caterpillar? Oh my uh, god. Uh, <laughs> no, like get that, it away. Like, this is this is one of those really good, fun body horror episodes. So really I'll, um, I'll pass it on to Lack, because I really, I've said my piece. Okay, well, there's not much I can really add that you guys haven't already said. Uh... Kaylin Glass is great at screaming. Yes. So, uh, so it's really great to be able to see her kind of do that here. Um, Honored Ancestors, yeah, that was that was a pretty messed up one. And <laughs> Christopher Weckamp was really really scary. Uh, I I loved how Steve Powell just kind of came into the scene and not <laughs> not in, walking. In yeah, it's just like crab walks on in. It, it, honestly, in this case, it actually kind of worked how subdued all the reactions to everything were. Yeah, it, it really did. This was kind of one of the only cases where it actually worked because in this case, it's like, oh, th that actually makes this kind of weirder. And that's kind of the point for this mm -hmm. one. Um, it's Steve Powell who just kind of comes in and just talks like a normal person, even though he <laughs> literally pushed himself by his feet, basically you know, you know, scraping himself into the room. And, um, yeah, I, I think all the performances were really strong in this one, and I think it actually was kind of creepy and kind of interesting just how, and, and I think the performances really reflected that really well. So that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, no, this this episode's something else. <laughs> just, um, it really is. Yeah, Chris, Christopher's just he, he he pulls out all the stops for this one. This is this is a this is a little upsetting. <laughs> it's a little upsetting just, just in the, the best possible way. You know, he he was good. I, I I Caitlin did a good job, even though a lot of her job was just to kind of react and be horrified. Uh, but I, I thought they both did a good, well, a good job. I also want to give a stat out to Steve Powell for just playing that perfect level of like, no, everything's fine. This is normal. <laughs> this isn't straight. No, 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 stay. It's okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll just, I'll just push myself back into my room. You oh, crab walk. It's okay. It's okay, guys. Yeah. It's okay. Oh, yeah. Give me is, my this scooter, is... boy. <laughs> get my scooter. I need scooter. my scoots. I've, I've no, no, fallen no. and I can't get up. <laughs> 
No, no, no. Just give him a, give him a skateboard just to just like push himself with. <laughs> just give him a set of wheels or something. God damn. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this 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 cast did a good job on a very a very worked episode. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Oh boy. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so happy we made this change and we added this story because it's so much fun to me. <laughs> this is a weird one. It's a weird one, but so worth it right now. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Yay. Oh, God. We're just dying now. It's great. It's great, guys. Uh, Where are my ancestors? Where are my ancestors' scalps right now? No. Before we, before we all cackle ourselves to death, Ooh, let's, okay. let's move to the next segment. Oh, all right. We have... We have story 9B, Blood Bubble Bushes. Uh, this is a story about another couple, Auntie uh, and Kana. Yeah, it's a, good, it's, it's a good name for a rock band. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, is about, this is about a couple named Anzi and Kana who are uh, driving around in the countryside when their car um, crashes into a tree, I think. It's been a while since I was there. Their car is indisposed and they go trying to look for help. Uh, first, they run to some kids who attack them. Uh, then they run to this dilapidated village that only has one guy living in it, and he uh, he takes him in and he tells him a story about his poor girlfriend who um, got injured and this this tree started growing out of her and feasting on her blood, uh, and it turns out um, he started feeding the fruits of that to other people, and they turned into weird bushes that are now in his house, and the couple understandably upset try to get away but they find out it's too late they've been infected already is a is Jokito like Stephen King where he had kind of a cocaine era <laughs> I don't think, I don't Not think Japan. so he's just no. he's just weird no. oh god although although he he does have the same thing where a lot of his stories are set in as far as I can tell the absolute middle of goddamn nowhere yeah so, yes yeah, exactly. he, he does have that going for him um so yes, uh, our our our, uh, our our two leads, uh, our Anzi is played by Kyle Angonius Ignixi. <laughs> I've never actually encountered this name. One of these days, I think. One of these days, we need a pronunciation of this name. On the weird chance that you're listening, can you, Kyle, sir, can you give us a pronunciation of your name? Because holy I shit, I don't it. know. I, I would like get, to get it right. Ignixi. <laughs> God right, damn it. Uh, uh, you you would know Kyle from such roles as a uh, Honey and Nanbaka. He's uh, you can hear him as uh, Fudo Yukimitsu in Token Ron and Harumaru, and uh, you can also hear him as in Enokido in Hakata Hakata Ta- Hakata Tonkutsu Ramen. Tonkutsu Ramen. Yeah, yes. thank I, you. I hosted the episode and I still can't even say it. Right. <laughs> well, a lot of, lot, of, lot of consonants in that name. That thing. Uh, and uh, Kana is played by Leah Clark, who you might know from such roles as Mayu in Death Parade, uh, Saki Morimi Mori in Eden the Beast, and Blair in Soul Eater. Uh, so what did we think of Kyle and Leah in this this segment? Another person I don't think I've heard do horror yet. Hello, Kyle. How are you today, sir? Um, I think this the two of them are... I, I enjoyed them a lot. Uh, Kyle obviously had a little bit more to do than Leah, because Kyle's the one who discovers what the fuck is happening mm-hmm. and is like, okay, we need to leave, like, now. Um, and the sense of urgency and paranoia is there, like, immensely. Meanwhile, we have Leah, who she she reacts how you would normally would up until the point where she realizes what's happened and she's at that point kind of resigned to her fate, in a sense, where she's kind of just accepted what's happened at this point. She's not in a state of panic. She's not in a state of paranoia compared to Anzai. 
and I think it came out really well for both of them. Though, more shout-outs, because, um, <laughs> I don't think I've heard him do horror yet either, but goddamn was this phenomenal for me. Adam Gibbs as the creepy guy. Has he worked at Funimation? Yeah. He's mostly he's mostly Sentai. However, he kind of started crossing over into Funimation um, back when, mostly when Hioka was being recorded. Though okay. the first role, the first show that he actually popped up in was um, Disastrous Life of Psyche K. Um, okay. For All Funimation, right. he's popped up a little Good. bit more and more, and he's actually going to be. He actually is in one of the Spring Samuel dubs as well, which is pretty awesome. But um, he's in a couple of them actually. I think, which. which is cool because I like Adam Gibbs. He's one of my favorite actors over in the Houston oh, he's area. He's fantastic. He's got, he's got the best bro dude voice out of anyone. So. <laughs> bro dude voice. <laughs> yes. But, um, no, Adam Gibbs. What did I write down? Fuck. Oh, my exact note Adam Gibbs is such a creeper. Dot, dot, dot. Such <laughs> a creeper. <laughs> and that's what this Like, you didn't even write that for the episode. You just wrote it in general. I just wrote it in general as my notes for Adam Gibbs because, like, he he's he's kind of mellow. He's very not stoic stoic to an extent, not cold, but very standoffish, I guess you can say. Maybe is the right word here. And how that character developed and how his performance progressed is so much fun. It's it's another one of my favorite performances. The story itself is not one of my favorites, but uh, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, in terms of at least Kyle and Leah Given what these characters go through and um, the progression of the story for these two, they're, I, I love the reactions that they had in their own way and they made it distinctive. But uh, yeah, it was a, it's a fun story, but not one of my favorites, honestly. All right, uh, Roots? Yeah, this, um, you know, like Honored Ancestors, uh, Blood Bubble Bushes is one of those episodes where the Walla kind of made the episode. Mm. Yeah. With, in particular, the little kids at the beginning who mm. kind of kind of beat up on the couple. I'm going to assume that those little kids just want the blood. Yeah. That's, yeah. Because yeah, they're trying to, they, trying they to get them bleed. The... Yeah. So, so, so a thing they establish is that if you, if you start turning into a tree thing, if you eat some of your own fruit, you'll be cured. But you'll turn into basically a rabid human who just goes around trying to get more blood. So basically that's what these kids are, in a sense? Yeah, yeah. that's the idea. Okay. It's like that, that's happened to them. Okay, that makes sense. But um, Kyle Ignazy and Leigh Clark made a, were really good as the, uh, the sort of the, the focus couple. And their reactions to sort of what was going on were pretty interesting things. But um, it's it, to me, really, it was everyone around them that sort of made the episode what it was. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Ranging from like uh, uh, Jim White, he's the uh, he's the main villager guy who's responsible for all this, right? I believe he's the. I think he's no, the guy who's yeah. like who. Uh, yeah, he's the guy who's like a bush now. That's yeah, Jim White. Oh, okay. Jim White is essentially oh. exposition dump for Kyle. Okay. It's it's Adam Gibbs who's the main who's the mastermind of this. It's Adam. Right. Gibbs okay. Who's okay. Yeah, I um I liked Adam Gibbs as sort of the. He kind of gives off the the air of the the head vampire in like a vampire movie. 
It's funny you like, say that because he's in fucking Diabolic Lovers 2 More Blood. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but he's sort of the, yeah, this is, this is my mansion. This shit's going down. It's too late to stop it, friend. Just resign yourself. Just, 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 just stay. Just deal with it. It's fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just stick around. It's okay. <laughs> There's but, no um... reason to be upset. Thank you. Where is upset? I need my seal. All right. I'll. I'm. I'm gonna pass it on to Lack because I'm just. I'm just gonna. You know, drain all our time. Ah, well, uh, okay, yeah, I would say that, as much as I like Leah Clark, and I don't really know Kyle, uh, Ignacy that well, but I, I didn't hate his performance in any way, I would say that it's the extras that kind of stood out in this story, mm -hmm. um, because, uh, Enzai and Kana, they just weren't that interesting as characters, they were more victims than mm -hmm. anything else, and, and they didn't really have much to do besides be caught by the, the monsters or demons or vampires or whatever the hell this one was. Whatever this fucking is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, you know, agriculture, I guess, was the villain. <laughs> uh, Nature. <laughs> Nature. Yeah. It's, it's like the happening. The trees. The trees are doing it. <laughs> what? Max. No, ma'am, we're not. Uh, <laughs> how dare you bring Mark Wahlberg into this conversation <laughs> I remember that movie I've actually seen it oh, while you on my lemon drink anyway um, <laughs> but yeah it was. I think it was the extras that really st stood out here I gotta be honest I didn't recognize any of the voices of the extras but I thought they all performed their roles really well now that I know that one of them is Adam Gibbs that makes me even happier because I love Adam Gibbs um, Adam Gibbs is amazing yeah. Um so yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts. Is is just that the extras were kind of the standouts for this one, which actually gives this episode kind of a bit of a uniqueness mm -hmm. in the fact that it's more the extras that were the more interesting ones this time around rather than who were supposed to be the main characters. Right. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought I thought Kyle and Leah did well with what they had, but they they had that same thing that um, Chris had earlier, where that stuff happens to their characters more than um, than being the ones driving the plot. Yes, I did. I did. I did like the bit at the end where Leah's just kind of accepted that, like, oh, I'm gonna be a rabid monster from now on. Yeah, she just starts drinking it. She's just yep. just drinking the little the little fruit things from herself. Just, just, it's just like just chows it. on down. Just fuck it at that point. Okay, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I liked Adam Gibbs a lot. I thought he brought a lot of um, presence and built the atmosphere. I liked a lot of the extras, who unfortunately are not credited, so I can't specify them by name. But uh, yeah, no, I, li I liked a lot of that. They, they helped build the mood on this episode very well, and I quite enjoyed it. Um, so unless anyone has anything else to say, let's move on to... Lack's episode... favorite story, apparently. Episode 10A. <laughs> episode 10A. Greased. And who else could who else could voice the main boy in this story but the greasiest voiced of anyone in anime? Oh God! <laughs> um, so, Greased is the story of Yui. Uh, Yui is a high schooler. She lives at home with her dad and her brother. Her dad owns a barbecue place, and they live directly above it, which unfortunately means that their entire house is just soaked in grease at all hours of the day. The floors, the walls, their beds, them. It is awful. Dad, and, why don't you um, clean? 
dad, you need to fucking clean. What the shit? And um, things go badly. Let's just leave it at that. Things go badly. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. So, yeah, uh, our, our lead, Yui, our, our protagonist in this very, very unfortunate scenario, is played by Jill Harris. Uh, who you might know for such roles as uh, Chio Yumihara in The Disastrous Life of Psyche K. Um, what's her name in Black Clover? His name escapes me. Noelle. Noelle, thank you. Noelle in uh, Black Clover. And uh, you currently hear her playing uh, Mandalay in My Hero Academia, who I believe is one of the um, Wild Wild Pussycats. Yes. If my notes are correct. She is. Uh, so what, what, did we, what do we think about Jill Harris in this absolutely <laughs> disgusting story? Jill. Jill. Girl. Girl time you leave yeah. time you leave home same advice for that i gave matt earlier you need to fucking leave <laughs> oh my god because it's not um, that hard to learn a trade girl you can probably live no, on your own so. no you you need to leave before you kind of uh what the fuck i get you need to leave before you kind of get fried up to death <laughs> Yeah, so, spo spoiler alert, this ends her uh, Her brother, who is, like, just soaked in grease all the time, uh, her dad kills him when she's at when he's attacking her, and then he decides, hey, I need meat for my barbecue. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna hack my son up and feed him, and guess what? It ends up being really popular. So he tries to grease up J uh, Yui so he can feed her to his populace, and when that doesn't work, he just starts imbibing himself and hacks his own leg off. Yep. yep. I don't know because how the story is twisted. find a way to make Sweeney Todd grosser. But they did. Oh. So. No, no, yep. no. The, the way they made it, Sweeney Todd grosser, freaking zit popping. Oh god. Uh, uh, yeah, that uh, was all. That was pretty oh, much the god. point. I was about to, I was about to are go you, into the Gito group chat and just say, "Yep, I'm, I'm not doing this episode. I'm out. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm gone." <laughs> are you, At that you, point, I was like, fun. Yeah, "I'm just gonna listen." It's like, I'm gonna go line. now. No. Do, uh, do you, do you, do you have horrible memories about your teenage acne? Oh. Don't watch this segment. I mean, It'll be bad. No, no. But, I mean, um, when you see a guy pressing like uh, pus out of his face like easy yeah. cheese in his <laughs> entire face, let us know. That's no, what I'm gonna call like, the whole from thing. Now on is easy cheese. <laughs> no, the best. No, the best part is this was the last episode I watched before going to bed that last night at oh, like no. twelve twelve thirty. I'm like, oh. Like, luckily, luckily, there was another half in there, and I, and I got to cleanse my palate a bit. And I'm like, ugh, but, um... It's like you need to watch, like, Dove commercials to look at clean skin again or something. I know. Like, no, but the the big thing with Jill is this, this story, in Yui's case, is very narrative-heavy, where she acts as the narrator for the majority of the time. So Jill has to act as storyteller more than anything in this segment. So... I, I did love that she, I did love the narration that she had because she's going through the story. Um, obviously, the story when she's retelling it is very calm, very collected. But that's really the biggest thing with the performance is because it's more of a narrative, narrative heavy kind of role for Jill to take on rather than reactive though don't get me wrong her reactions to like all the shit going on it's great but more than anything this is a narrative heavy narrative heavy role and performance for jill and um that that's really all that she has for it um there's not much else outside of that honestly but <laughs> i know we were talking about easy cheese um <laughs> uh Props to you, Greg Ayers, for being a snotty little shit. Yeah. 
as the brother Goro. And oh, a, a, gre a grease ball, both literally and figuratively. Yes, indeed. Like it was, his performance is also a lot of fun. But yeah, in terms of Jill, hers is more of the fact that it's a narration-heavy kind of performance, um, and that's kind. It kind of limits the character a bit in terms of what she can do. Uh, but the narration is really enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, Roots. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this kind of quick because I've already said like my piece on the episode itself. So, um, I I really like Jill Harris's like like Lilac said uh, her sort of narration in the background and then in the foreground she's sort of this panicky like everybody everybody needs to you know clean up this place and like it it never happens and then. Bleh. <laughs> just but, uh, uh, yeah. Just like, <laughs> I really like that the the performance Greg Ayers gave off as like the really the really kind of slimy character. Not to pun not intended there, um, <laughs> both literally and figuratively. <laughs> but he he just plays uh, Goro as grossly as he can, and it's. It's wonderful when you're not a, you know, when you're not dry heaving, because because of, <laughs> of what the character's actually doing in the animation. Yeah. And um, also like Bradley Campbell as the dad, because he yeah there was only there was almost something weirdly tragic about like Bradley Campbell's performance as you as dad. Yeah. Because he he seems so normal. That was the weird part. Yeah. Well, that's what's sort of sad about it, is that clearly the reason they're doing this is, like, they cannot afford to live somewhere that's not directly above a greasy chimney. Right. And, like, it's just kind of sad. It's like he doesn't, like, he doesn't quite have that much choice in the matter. He just kind of has to do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, maybe not kill and cut up his children, but you know what I mean. Right. Yeah, he, he's sympathetic at first until, you know, he takes a shovel to the back of Goro's head and right. chops him up. Well, no, I... I th the part where he wasn't, he started not being sympathetic was when we find out he chopped off Goro. Um, like, hitting him with the shovel, Mike, he's basically just trying to defend his daughter, in a sense. Yeah. But, to be fair. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, what happened after that where I'm like, nope! <laughs> nope! Yeah. yeah. Nope. Oil saturation, 100%. Mm. Ooh. Alright, well, again, I don't have that much to add. Uh, this episode was gross. <laughs> Greg Gregory Greg sold it as Goro, the, the creepy guy who wasn't really trying to be creepy, but he couldn't help it. Uh, Jill Harris, really, y you fell for her as UA. Um, or UE, I don't know. Uh, like, like she was able to kind of play the scared, like, the scared victim in all this really well. And like I said, Bradley Campbell is, um, is UE's dead. Like, he kind of sold the, the whole concept of, like, he's so jaded that he doesn't even see this as weird anymore. Mm hmm So, I think that was really effective in this story, and that was kind of a testament to the to the good acting in this one. So, I know that I made a joke about Greg Aries having a greasy voice, which he does, but he knows how to use it very well. So, and he, yeah, so, yeah, those are my thoughts. 
All right, yeah, uh, I, I I enjoy these these performances a lot. This is one of my favorite episodes of the show because I'm weird and I find the sort of grotesqueness amusing. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, no, I enjoyed all these guys a lot. I thought Greg Greg uh, Greg excels at sounding like like he you know he's, I mean his reason he gets cast as teenagers a lot. He's got that kind of voice, and it was fun hearing him and something who was just so appallingly awful all the time. <laughs> um, I really like Bradley as the dad, just from it just sort of his, his sort of slow decline from like relatively normal to you know, well here I am, I'm cutting my leg up. There's just grief. There's oil pouring out of my wound because I don't have blood in me anymore. It's, this is fine. Whatever, this will work. Um, I bleed, Crisco. That's okay. Exactly. <laughs> And uh, I really like Jill in this just because I thought um, her narration added a lot to the atmosphere of the story mm-hmm. and just how, like, just awful and stifling this whole scenario is. And yeah. I thought she she helped bolster that a lot. I was very impressed, especially because it is so narrative heavy. Yep. Like, if she like if she doesn't pull it off, I think the whole the whole scenario just kind of falls flat. So I, I get a lot of kudos to her for that. It was, I thought she was very good. Um, let's move on to something that's nowhere near as disgusting. <laughs> a breath of fresh air, if you will. But just um, as equally strange. <laughs> oh, just still strange, but I it's mean, a little more funny strange. Yes. Until you get to blow, boy. So yeah, uh, we have episode 11A, Supernatural Transfer Student. Oh boy. Uh, a new a new, super, a new transfer student has come to this high school, a man named uh, Sukano. And he's just a weird guy, and he keeps finding all this weird shit that wasn't there before, like a giant waterfall that's next to a school, or Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had, when I saw or that Easter moment, Island heads. When I saw that, I paused, and I immediately went to the chat, or Junji Ito chat, and I'm like, guys! <laughs> it's very good. I was like, oh my god, why? This is and, so and, weird. And, 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 and the world is just his playground, and we follow a bunch of high schoolers who try to not die. Basically. Doesn't work out so doesn't work out so well for a couple of them. Um yeah, so our 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 supernatural transfer student, uh Rio Sukano, is played by Kaiba Walker, who as far as I can tell is pretty new to the scene. Uh he's had some minor roles in Black Clover and Garo Vanishing Line, but uh as far as I can tell, I think this might be the most high profile thing he's been in recently, yeah. barring some mm-hmm. non-anime credits I may not be aware of. This is his first main role. Yeah. yeah, essentially. Pretty much. Like a first yeah. name like character, a, really. Yeah. Um, so what did we think of Kaiba in this show? So first things first, I'm going to bring this up again now. Uh, this is the point where Terry is taken over as director. Yes. And, at this point, Terry is now director. Yes. And when I was talking about Terry earlier, I mentioned that there was a story where it was essentially all underutilized or brand new actors. This is that story. Cause we have like the only names that are from, there's three names. There, well, there's four names on this list, I think, that are familiar to me, but the majority of them are very underutilized. Because we have Kiba, we have uh, Nazi Tarsha, I I've, don't know if I pronounced the name correctly, who's um, Shibayama, who's one of the main, er- main characters in the show. We have Don, who's probably the most well-known of the group. There's Jordan Dash Cruz, who I mentioned earlier, who um, the only other role that I'm familiar with him is, um, I want to say he played a jeek in Aino Kusabi. With Cliff as the Jeek leader, I want to say that's what it was. I'm having flashbacks to the bloopers right now. Uh, <laughs> there's also Christy Kang, and um, there's also Sarah Ragsdale in here. Um, but for Kiba, uh, Kiba Walker, like, it's a very interesting choice. 
since we've... I've never heard of this individual in my life, and obviously nobody else really has. Well, I did, but that's because I've been in something with him, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to this again, damn it. Yeah. Um, but what he reminds me the most of is um, he's like a cross between Austin Tyndall and Justin Briner to me. That's that's what I'm getting from it. And he, with with Tsukino, it's this crazy, happy kind of kid. And it's also great because he's kind of nerdy. And Tsukino's also rather sincere in his own right. Because all he wants is to see these weird and strange things. And he's just so happy about it all the time. Like, he's hiding the fact that he is, in fact, the one responsible for this weird and crazy shit. But he's just so earnest about it. And it's so much fun. And for someone who is, essentially, at least to me anyway, brand spanking new, this is awesome. And I really, really want to hear Kiba and many more things to come. And I hope he gets the opportunity to. But yeah, this is a obvious. This is honestly like between all of these characters in the story, he's definitely the standout because he just had so much fun with it, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, uh, Roots. Yeah, so huge props to Terry for largely grabbing yeah. people who are mostly unknown from the uh, from the Funimation acting pool. Um, I will say I'm not quite a fan of Kiba Walker yet. Mm. Um, this is sort of a similar situation to uh, Kyle McCarley from the uh, Mobile Suit Gundam episode, where that was more or less his first ever, like, named dub role. Okay. And it it was a little rough, but I I think given a little more time and a couple more, like, bigger roles, I think he'll... I think I could see him as one of the, one of the bigger players at Funimation come, like, next year. It's true, it could happen. Uh, like, I, I do really like that he's sort of the, um... Oh, how do I describe it? Sort of, sort of the Mephisto uh, <clears throat> character of the uh, of the episode, where he's mm. sort of like, "Hey, you guys like cool and weird stuff. Why don't I show you cool and weird stuff? Oh, you don't like this cool and weird stuff? <laughs> I thought you wanted cool and weird stuff. Yep, you're a supernatural club, aren't you?" Like he's so he's just so very earnest yes, about what he's doing. It's adorable. I mean, it's not my fault your friend died. Ah! That was his choice. It's not, it's not my friend not my friend fault one of your friends murdered another friend and now he's a waterlogged zombie with psychic powers. And is foaming at the mouth. <laughs> foaming at the mouth. <laughs> not like, my fault. Like this is probably my my number two favorite episode of of the uh, series. Yeah, I can kind of agree with that, it's, actually. It's just so weird yes. and and wonderful and uh, <laughs> like Funimation put Keepa Walker in more things. Yes, please. He's, I want to hear more of this guy. He still sounds a little green, but give him time. Alright, um, yeah, I, I I know of Kiba because of the fact that you know, name dropping here, we were both in Seduce Me Too, actually. Uh, the demon oh. part. Nice. But, yeah. um, 
but I've never really heard him be able to voice act. I've never actually really heard him much. And I think this is a great role for him because he's got a very unique voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rio was a very unique character in the fact that he was, he took delight in the weirdness around him that he was kind of creating. And I think that made him genuinely scary. And I love the fact that this episode has the name of like a sh fighting show in an anime. Uh, <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Oh man, I would totally watch a whole show about this guy. It'd, yeah. be, great. It'd be great. He just goes just goes around ruining people's lives at high schools. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> exactly. This would have easily been like a great like '80s OVA or something. Like that. Honestly, yes, actually. Um, You're right. But as as far as anything is concerned, I think he really stole the show. Uh, I think he almost stole the entire series, if I'm being honest, because he's, again, one of the <laughs> almost, most memorable yes. characters. One of the last-minute fun surprises of the show. Yeah, and I think everybody else sounded great, too. Um, I think the fact that everybody else sounded so normal compared to him was really good. Mm -hmm. I think because it, it added to Rio's strangeness from the, from the get-go. Right. And I, I like the fact that Rio, while he did sound strange, he wasn't too strange, where you didn't believe he could be human. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's one of the better things, where in, in this case, he was the main character, and he was advancing the plot, and all the extras were kind of the victims. So this is kind of the opposite of what we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. uh, with mm -hmm. uh, with the blood bushes. And, um, yeah, and I, I think this is an example of where it actually works, in the fact that the extras all sounded really normal, and the main character actually sounded really weird, and it helps to differentiate the the sense of of supernaturalness of right. the story. So, mm. yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I really enjoyed it. I think Dawn and Bennett was in Seduce Me Too, too, by the way. So, <laughs> nice. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I really liked Kaiba in this. I thought he was just, just a delight to listen to. He, he was, I just think he was very well cast. He got a, he got a character that I thought he, he brought a lot to. Mm -hmm. And he, nailed, he just nails that sense of enthusiasm and earnestness. And, like, there's no malice here. He's not trying to ruin people's lives. It just kind of happens because people are jerks. You don't need to be afraid, little friend. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. And, like, you just look at it. It's like, look, guys, I found a sea monster. Isn't this great? Because <laughs> you In this big lake that wasn't here yesterday. Isn't this great? Found this ancient uh, monster dating back from prehistoric times. Godzilla comes out of the water like holy shit! I lost it. I'm sorry. It no, was he's, great. he's he's real. He's really good. As far as like as far as like the segments of the show that are like a little heavier on the humor, I think this might this might be my favorite. Or at the very least, it's it's up there. It, like I really enjoyed this segment, and, and Kaiba's a lot of the reason why. It, 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 so, we, like, oh, it's weird of me to say this is one of the more lighthearted segments of the entire fucking oh, show. For 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 one, or it's a plot point that two of the main characters. One murders another one, and they both probably they both die in the end. It's like it's pretty lighthearted. It is a breath of fresh air after Greased. Yes, oh, that's <laughs> for sure. That's that's most that's most of the show is a breath of fresh air after Greased. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I enjoyed him a lot, and I also hope he gets more work because I'd love to hear more stuff from him. Uh, and now now we come to our last of the of the regular segments of the episode. We have story twelve A smash oh boy <laughs> and smash is a story of uh, our man kameda who uh, a friend of his has just come back from a trip to somewhere in south america and he's brought back this jar of uh, tree sap that he got from some tribe down there and they say and it's it's the most delicious thing in the world but he was told something about the tribe you when you're eating it you can't be noticed 
And it turns out the reason you don't have any nose is that if you get noticed eating it, uh, you will get uh, turned into a pile of pulp and gore by something. Yep. You can't see what. Um, spoiler for the end, it turns out if you get noticed eating it, you get noticed by the tree it came from, which has arms and will reach across the world and flatten you. <laughs> because you're eating its sap. Because why not? It's capable Because why of the fuck not? Um, this, so this, is, our, this, is, our... this is where the phrase, notice me senpai, does not apply here. Nope, nope, you don't want senpai to notice <laughs> you. You want do senpai not want to him to notice you. you. <laughs> don't notice Cthul senpai. Cthulhu senpai, apparently. Ah. Yeah, right? <laughs> Uh, so, so our, our our good Lee Kamida is played by everybody, everybody's favorite uncle. It's Mark Systemic. Yay! Mark Systemic. <laughs> Marcus. Marcus, uh, who you know for such roles as Yamato Godai and Nambaka, uh, Delicho in Gangsta, and you can currently hear him playing Tora, another member of the Wild Wild Pussycats, in My Hero Academia. Uh, so, wh what did we think of uh, Mark in this role? Oh God! Oh Marcus, 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 Marcus. First of all, it's been a while since we actually really got to talk about Marcus, so I'm very right. happy right now. Um, but Marcus, he kind of just loses it, and in the best possible way. <laughs> like, oh god, he, him, and um, Josh Greeley, who places who plays Sugio in this story, um, they're definitely the standouts because um. They're really good at letting their desires kind of run rampant. And uh, in the case of Marcus, one of the big things with him is because when them and their group of friends get like start eating this nectar, they basically steal it from Chris Guerrero. Uh, they stole it from Chris Guerrero's Ogi. Uh, they start eating it themselves, and then they discover what's going on because their friends kind of start dying. Some time, a little bit of time passes, and there's this story, these stories about these random deaths happening. Turns out that, uh, Marcus has been experimenting? Um, uh, whoops! Whoops-a-daisy! He's experimenting, giving, these, giving other people this nectar to see if he could find a way to avoid it. And it's, for Marcus, it, even though that bit's off screen, it's very unsettling. And when you see him come back again, and as the story progresses to its conclusion, he... It, it's very unsettling. There isn't a sense of paranoia, but it's that desire to just keep consuming this nectar. Because the other big thing we learn is that even if, if you have this nectar, basically anything else you eat after that is going to be disgusting to you. It, it's... I don't know. It's, it's, it's really unsettling. It's very... It's unsettling, it's kind of leans on the side of cuckoo crazy, but in the end, let's fucking face it, Marcus got exactly what he deserved. <laughs> <laughs> like, in the end, after all of his friends are dead, he discovers that Josh's character stole a map from Chris Guerrero's house, he finds the goddamn tree, tries to take eat some of the nectar while the tree's in front of him, and then of course he ends up dead, because <laughs> he's a fucking yep. dumbass. Um, but, yeah, I really, I, I think this is another one where I, I don't think I've heard Marcus in horror, and this is just a pleasant surprise, uh, for one of the last stories that we get to see in the show, and I enjoyed it a lot. Hmm. Roots? Yeah, um, I, I've got to echo a lot of what, uh, Lilac said, and, um, 
I really like how this show kind of frames the story, too. Mm hmm. Because it's, um. You. A couple points during the South America segment, you see a mosquito land on a character and get swatted away. With oh, the, yeah, you right. smear. Yep. Like, it, it was a really nice touch and probably, probably something that was in the actual manga story itself. But, um. I, I really like that. And I also kind of like the fact that as the story progresses, they, uh, the actors sort of take on sort of an almost drug addict kind of mm. yes. tone to their voice. Yes. Well, I assume that was a, the allegory. A little <laughs> so. bit scratchy, a little bit kind of haggard. A little bit, a little cuckoo crazy, a.k.a. Jade Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> The fact that they couldn't eat anything else. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, like, the reactions to when everybody just kind of takes takes the dip of the, uh... Takes a nip of the nectar and just goes, Splurdy! I'm tragedorable! I've been, 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 been tragedy! Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Never oh, again. shout out... Shout out to Picnic Face. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I, I really like this episode. I I like the performances, too. This is probably... Like, in terms of performance, it's probably my favorite episode. It's, like, not in terms of story, but just the dub itself. Okay. I can agree with that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lack? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this was actually probably my favorite of any of the episodes, just because I understood what the hell was going on, for one thing. <laughs> um... And I, the performances were really good. Uh, I love Chris Guerrero's voice. Uh, nothing he ever does is bad, in my opinion. And I thought him as Ogi was really good. Um, or Oji. I forget how you pronounce it. And uh, Marcus Stemic as as uh, Kamida, I thought he was really good in this one. Just how how you could tell that he was kind of being like the... the what was it? Syrup? I forget, or what was the it? The Nectar. Nectar, Nectar, that's it. Uh, you could tell that the Nectar was kind of destroying him too, but unlike everybody else, he didn't care, which I thought was a really compelling element to his character, and I thought Marcus Stemmick played that really well. Uh, I thought the ending was actually really cool too, especially the fact that we see the monster kind of, but we never actually really see it. Right. And I mm. thought that, that was really cool, and I thought that everybody actually was playing... They were reacting to the weird things going on like people would be. Except for the fact that they saw a body exploded in the house and they saw <laughs> it did you eat the nectar. I don't know why they did that. But I, I get the idea of being so addicted or being so curious that you don't even care. Mm -hmm. Although, I suspend my belief only so far. Um, but besides that, I think the performances were really strong in this one. And I think I think this is definitely my favorite out of any of the, uh, out of any of the stories. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, I, I like this one a lot. I, I, I agree with Roots. I thought this was a really good ensemble cast. Yeah. Uh, just I thought everyone was very strong. Like Mar Mar Marcus might be the standout a little bit, but I thought everyone was very strong in this. I like Jade at the end where she's like, no, I'll go in the river. It can't get me there. <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Dead. I'm, so I'm sorry to tell you Jade is wrong. Yeah. I can totally get Whoops. in there. 
you know, I, I just really like this segment. This feels like this feels like it could have been like a forgotten like VHS horror movie from the '80s, and I just really appreciate that aspect. Of it. You're, you're <laughs> actually right. That's the best way to describe this story. Like it's very it's, it's very it's very like high concept horror, mm-hmm. which I feel like Junji Ito doesn't do that often. But when he does do it, he he can be very good at it. And I like that one of those got adapted into this series. So yeah, I was I was really happy on the whole. Yay. Uh, and on that note, we're we're gonna move into the the next segment of our show. We're gonna talk about the the very few best girl. Fuck you, fight me. Reoccurring. We're gonna talk about the reoccurring characters that appear in the series. There are three characters who uh, show up in a number of Junji Ito stories, and they got uh, to show up a number of times in this show. And to start off, we are going to go with uh, everyone's favorite fashion model, Fuji. Uh, Fuchi is a, a woman who's about nine feet tall. She looks like a corpse, uh, and she is terrifying. And she is played by Terry Doty, who, uh, in addition to obviously uh, co-directing the series, you might know from such roles as Kyoko Maki in Interviews in Monster Girls, uh, Yuko Tachikawa in Parasite the Maxim, and Moriko Morioka in Recovery of an MMO Junkie. So, uh, Lilac, I feel like you have some opinions about Terry Doty playing Fuji. Would you like to share those with us? Fuji is best girl. <laughs> Fuck you, fight me. Uh, no, this is this is a completely different side that I've never seen Terry Doty go with before, and it's just amazing. Uh, I mean, ah, uh, just just go eat Dave Matronga already. Just do it. Just fucking do it. <laughs> and because it's Fuji as a character. Her design and her character design in general is obviously very unsettling. It's like this is a model. This is this creepy ass woman here. She she was one of the examples of people having too lenient a reaction. I felt like in this <laughs> series. I feel like that's maybe they just were trying not to be rude. But, yes, you know, I mean yeah. you're not wrong. People try maybe not trying not to be rude, but how Terry portrays it, it's this. It's kind of unsuspecting. You think she's just kind of quiet. But especially in um the two-way fashion model story, it's you slowly see the gears kind of turn a bit. And she slowly become slowly becomes a bit unhinged to the point where when they're shooting that movie and she hasn't had a chance to be on screen yet, she's like, "When can I go?" When do you need me? When am I going to be on screen? I need to show my beauty to the world. And oh lord. And then it just gets really, really creepy because she just eats this fucking girl. (laughs) She just eats the pretty girl. And then just like eats the pretty girl, eats one of the crew members. And then by the end of it, she's basically about to chow down on David Matronga's character. And then, oh, the best part. With when she came back at the end of the series <laughs> with one of Soichi's <laughs> stories cause fuck this little shit <laughs> fuck this little shit god we're gonna talk about Soichi next I think but yes. oh my god but god what was what was it okay my my note kinda crosses into Soichi's voice actor but Soichi is a, still a little shit I f- hope Fuchi ate Soichi up cause fuck that kid <laughs> <laughs> like I was, like I was just sitting there, just like laughing my ass off and rooting for Fuji to just gnaw this boy's he- face off. Because let's let's face it, this more this does more apply to Suichi. Suichi is just irredeemable as all fucking hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
is, is the worst. He's the worst. If if he Fuchi is if, be the worst. Yes. If Fuchi is if Fuchi is best is best girl, Suchi is worst boy. Yes. <laughs> but the fact that I I don't again I don't recall Terry ever like voicing in a horror series before, or if she has, not to this extent. Um, I just downright loved it, and it was one of my favorite performances of the entire show. Who was best boy? Um, <laughs> mm, good question. Uh, I'm gonna say Sukano. Suka yeah, Sukano, yeah, the he's supernatural transfer student. He's the best boy. Yeah, that's, that's what I was gonna say. He's I totally mean, best Oshik boy. Oshikiri could be made best boy. Could be, but he's he not. As, he's not as earnest as Sukino, though. <laughs> yeah. he's adorable. I love Sukino. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, uh, Roots, what did, what did you think? Yeah, I, I really do appreciate that in uh, in Fashion Model. Uh, Terry sort of plays Fuchi. It almost has a beautiful tone to her voice. Mm. Like, uh, mm. like trying to be pretty, not quite, but pretty close. Mm. And then, like, when she starts getting jealous of uh, Tamaye, then she's sort of... The, the, the monstrous side comes out, and then she's just like, you know, oh, am I not beautiful enough for you? And then he, yeah. she eats her, and then, like, a couple other people. Tell me I'm pretty. <laughs> Tell me I'm pretty! <laughs> oh, <And> no, no. <laughs> but even even better is uh, is during rumors, mm -hmm. like, at, at the very end is the punchline to the episode. Yes. Where she's just like, oh, yeah. Still in the monstrous voice when she's she's eating people in fashion model, and she's just like, oh yeah, she just says, oh I don't, um, you'll have to go through my agent if you want photographs. Oh yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> Suichi has his disposable camera and he's taking pictures of his classmates just to start shit. I forgot about that. And she's like, why are you taking pictures of me? Are you a photographer? You need to go through my agency for that. <laughs> That's kind of that's kind of Suichi's that's kind of Suichi's mantra is just starting shit. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's like I I really the character doesn't get like a ton of screen time despite being in two episodes, but I I really like Terry Doty playing yep. her. It's great. It, it's great, and I kind of I kind of wish she got to show up in one of the OVAs, but I think they're both. Uh, I think they're both Tomie episodes, so probably not. Yeah, that, that's my understanding. I don't think we ever... No, I don't think we ever have, like, a Fuchi Tomie crossover, just because I don't know how that would work. <laughs> that would be fun, though. <laughs> no, that'd be, that'd be I mean, fun let, as hell. Let, I just don't ask, know how it would work. Is Fuchi, like, is she her own manga? Does she have her own manga? Or she, 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 she has shown up. She's not, like, she doesn't have a full series to herself, but there are a number of short stories that she is either the, like, antagonist of or makes an appearance. Okay, okay. so it is it is almost kind of a Stephen King thing where she's, like, the man in black, right? Not, qu not quite not quite that extreme, but a little bit like that. She does show up in a okay. number of them. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, so like, I like how... <laughs> Sorry, go on. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lack, what did you think? Oh, uh, well, um, the first thing that stood out to me for Fuchi is that is not the voice I expected to hear come out of her. And I, I think, <laughs> I actually think that's more of a positive than it is a negative. I honestly probably would have expected a voice like Rachel Robinson's to come out of Fuchi. Yeah. Because Rachel Robinson has a very, she has a very, like, earthy voice. So, which I love, by the way. I love her voice. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think Terry Doty's voice as Fuji was actually really, really interesting. 
in the fact that it did have a, a sickly sweetness to it that I think added a lot to the character. Um, yeah, uh, she was not unforgettable. I will no. say that. She was <laughs> no. And if you forgot um, about her, she will make sure you don't. Yeah, I mean, I was genuinely surprised when she showed up in, in the second episode she was in. And I was like, oh, okay. So I guess there is some consistency here. Um, but, uh, I, Iwasaki was, uh, the guy who was scared of her, right? Uh, Dave yes. Matranga, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I thought he did a great job. I didn't realize it was David Matranga, but looking back on it, I should have realized that. Um, and I, I, I think he was great, especially considering the fact that he was the only one who actually reacted the way anybody would actually react to Fuji. Yes. Um. <laughs> yes. True facts. This, this was actually where I started to get annoyed because of the fact that uh, Oda, who was kind of the guy he was talking to, right? It was the guy he worked with a lot. Yeah, yes. The fact that yeah. Oda had no problem with Fuji whatsoever. And I am sorry. It's not that she's unattractive. It's the fact that she looks like a monster. I think, but here's <laughs> the thing. I think that was the point in Oda's mind. She, I think, because it's not really fully explained, but it sounded like at least the intent that Oda was going for was making her like a monstrous villain kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's why he was but, able to tolerate it. But she didn't look human. No, that's I know. The that's the problem. Even better, save on makeup effects. There we go. Like, I think there's also like a supernatural. to fall in a wig. Like I think there's a supernatural element to her where she can make herself look pretty for just long enough to get like a role, and then. And, and I get that, but I feel like they should have established that, you know. But I don't know. But my 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 point being that I thought Terry Doty was the standout as Fuchi. I don't know if i call her best girl, but I, uh... She's I, best girl I do think Fuchi so. was a very interesting character. Fuchi's so. best girl to me, so whatever, man. <laughs> it's, all, well, 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 it's all that matters to me. I'm sure, I'm sure the best girl debate will come up later, too, so... Alright. <laughs> right, I'm done. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, I thought Terry knocked it out of the park here. Um... I think the thing I liked about it is, like, like I was mentioning, it doesn't have the voice you expect. I kind of got a little bit of almost like a, a sort of Marilyn Monroe-ish kind of like, you know, old, like, classic, glamorous oh, actress okay. kind of a vibe from her. And I think that really worked. Like, I like the fact that for so much of it, Terry Doty plays Fuchi like she's a sexy lady and that who knows that she's a sexy lady. And why don't these people accept my, my greatness? What's wrong with you? Why are you wasting your time on this girl? And then she eats people. It's great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, she 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 had a lot of fun playing this role, and uh, <laughs> I wish there, I wish she was in more episodes. She was great. I just I really enjoyed her. Also, a fun Easter egg if you watch the show again at the uh, towards the end of Rumors, right before she shows up again, uh, when this like classmates wandering through this ugly swamp, you can actually see a bunch of effects from the people she ate in Fashion Model float by. Are you There's, serious? There's like a couple of hats and some shirts. Yeah, no, like it's like a hat and a few others. That I think, like, is the hat awesome. That, uh, Dave Matranga is wearing all the time, like, yeah, just floats by. Yeah, I actually by. didn't notice that. I, I didn't realize it was a callback <laughs> to the previous episode. Yeah, no, it's a little hint to the observant that Fuji's gonna and not not just show up, like, in a poster, like, no, she's gonna be here. Oh, it's gonna no. end badly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I she she was one of my, my favorites of this whole series, and I was I was very happy. Uh, props to you, Terry. That was, that was amazing. <laughs> Um, but now, sadly, we must go from best girl to worst boy. Fucking little shit. <laughs> Let's talk about Soichi. Little shit. Soichi. Soichi is a, a horror. She's a little creep. He's a high schooler. 
Uh, he apparently has actual legit mystic powers, uh, but he mostly uses them to, like, stir up shit with his classmates because he's an immature little brat. He's probably some... <laughs> he's probably based on some kid that Junji Ito knew in school named Suichi that he hated. Very... Po so. I'd, I'd say either that and also there's, like, a long history in, like, Japanese horror manga of, like... Stuff kind of aimed at kids about kind of just like crappy little punks. Yeah. And I think it's very much drawing on that. Um, but he's the worst. Uh, but he is not played by the worst. He is, in fact, played. Uh, but I should note, he, he shows up in three stories. He shows up in 1A, Sochi's Convenient Curse, 5B, Cloth Teacher, and 12B, Rumors. And he is played by Austin Tyndall. You would know him for playing such roles as Ruth in Ancient Magnus Bride. He's uh, Ken Kaneki in Tokyo Ghoul. And you can currently hear him as uh, Nito Ma Manoma, another worst boy in My Hero Academia. <laughs> that motherfucker. He plays, a lot of, he plays a lot of worst boys really well. I'm, I'm impressed. He plays a good amount of worst boys, but he plays a, an equal amount of good boys. <laughs> this is also true. Anyways, uh, what what did we think of Soichi, Lila? Soichi's a little fucking shit. <laughs> uh, I I need to go in order of my notes for this. So, first episode, my note here. I don't recall Austin going into the weird and creepy realm before, but holy crap, is he good as Soichi? The second time I wrote something down was for episode five. Soichi's such a little shit, and Austin just makes it into a bratty, shitty. Braddy shit during his second appearance. And then my third note... Okay, it's the one I actually read earlier about um, how Austin's still a little shit. And that I hope that uh, Fuji just fucking ate Soichi. <laughs> um, but he called her beautiful, though. So who knows? Well, he's also a lying little shit. So who the fuck knows if that was true or not? Yeah, he'll, he'll manipulate any situation to get out of it. Exactly. So. It's, 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 it it's hard to say because he's a little liar, but he's also a weird little fucker. So who knows? No, but <laughs> he might actually think she's hot. <laughs> no, but as actually as one of the main recurring characters for this for this series, I <laughs> oh Austin, I salute you, you brilliant bastard. Um, Soichi was a lot of fun because he, Soichi because Soichi is a fucking little shit. Austin, like, solidified Soichi as this stupid, crazy little shit. And every second that he was he was there, I had so much fun wanting to fucking murder this kid for all the <laughs> shit he's done. So that obviously means that Austin was very convincing as a stupid little shit. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, a lot of the other people who were in these stories... Uh, with Suichi involved are actually a lot of fun too, and some of them are also recurring too. Cause um, we had God Rico Fajardo was in there as Suichi's brother. Um, there mm -hmm. were those. There was that trio of boys mm -hmm. from there. They're uh, they're uh, let's see, that's a uh, Howard Wang, Garrett Storms, and Stephen Fu. Yes, there was God. What was who was another standout? Another uh, two more standouts to kind of bring up because. Um, in the two other stories, Cloth Teacher and Rumors, Suichi wasn't actually the main character of the story. Um, Anthony Bowling as Wakayama during Cloth Teacher was a lot of fun. Uh, and then, where are we? Danny Chambers as Midori uh, in Rumors. I love that because I, I think that was the second time I heard Danny Chambers in a, a larger role of some sort. And I just... 
loved how she played Midori, uh, and as well as well as Anthony Bowling playing this this nerdy class rep that guy who's trying to f- figure out and stop Suichi with his bullshit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it all of these cast members were a lot of fun, but. <laughs> Fucking hell, Austin. <laughs> Again, I hope Fuji ate Suichi's fucking face off because he's a <laughs> stupid little shit. Um, but Austin, Aust- I have to give Austin props. It was a lot. Uh, it was a lot of fun to see him be the crazy, creepy little kid uh, and basically causing problems for everyone. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Roots, what did you think? Yeah, um, Suichi's just this little mischief maker that you want to punt over the end zone and. Uh... Uh, Austin Tindall played that very well. I I got the sense he would be pretty good as him from stuff like My Hero Academia and and whatnot, because he is capable of playing the, the little trolley character. Um, I also have to give, like, Charlie Campbell and um, Greg Dulcey as, like, his his grandfather and the old man from the first episode. Like, Oh God. They were really really great performances. Um, I have to agree with, uh, Lilac on Anthony Bowling and Danny Chambers, but yeah. Um, Oh, also, um, Barry Andel and Jessica (laughs) Kavanaugh as the, uh, the teachers that get turned into puppets. Oh yeah. (laughs) Especially Barry. His was fun. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Austin Tyndall plays a little shit, and I want to uh, spit knives at his butt. <laughs> I want to punt this kid into the fucking sun. God damn it. Launch him into space orbit. <laughs> going, going, uh, gone. Lack, <laughs> uh, uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's funny, because Soichi had some of my least favorite episodes. Even though he was the most memorable character out of anybody because he was the most recurring one. Uh, but I think Austin Tindall did a great job as Soichi. Like, his voice was just so, like, insufferable that it worked perfectly for such an insufferable character. Uh, I think Cloth Teacher might actually be one of my least favorite episodes, honestly, out of any of them. Yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too fond of Cloth Teacher's story either, honestly. But it was. It, I mean, but I really like Barry Andell, so. Yes. Anytime I get to mention him. You'll do it. <laughs> um, I, I feel like. I don't know. I feel like Austin could do a lot more if Soichi had his own, like, anime rather than just being part of the Junji Ito collection. Um, mm. but the same way with the character we're about to talk about after right. him. Um, who I didn't realize was as important a character as she was. Uh, but regarding Suichi, uh, it was kind of fun to see his kind of, like, like, wily coyote BS that he keeps trying to pull on everybody <laughs> in, in, in the school. And it just, I, I, I genuinely think if it was, like, just little shorts of Suichi trying and failing using, like, the occult to mess with his school, I honestly think the series would have been a lot better. Because yeah. it would have just been this <laughs> this occult comedy kind of thing. It would have, yeah. So, because I, I didn't I didn't get Junji Ito collection when I first watched it. I was like, is this supposed to be funny? I, I don't get it. I thought this was supposed to be a horror series because nothing really here is that scary, and it's just kind of 
silly and stupid. And this kid's a stupid little shit. I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, I, th I think I think the, the the structure of the series suffers from the fact that I think Suichi's a big, a relatively well known character in Japan. Mm. Uh, over here, not so much. Okay. I, th I think even in like fan translations, I don't think Suichi is very well liked by the English language uh, fan base. Okay. For well, like, like the obvious reason, he's an obnoxious old snot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, wasn't the book he was in like only recently published by this? Oh, none, none, none of none of the stuff featuring Suichi is officially available in English. Oh, there's I like see. two whole there's like two there's like two whole short story collections that are either entirely or predominantly about him. Neither of those are legally in English. Oh, okay. I see. Huh. Yeah. So that's part of the other thing. Like a lot of this is just new to it. Like unless you're into the fan translation stuff, a lot of this is just gonna be completely new to you. Grab I mean the like same could the same could probably be said of the next character we're gonna talk about, right? So. I would say that ex I would actually I would disagree with that because you can find you they started publishing her stuff in English in like the nineties. Oh, oh wow, okay. okay. Because I, yeah, I, no, I, like, I did actually, read that her stuff premiered in eighty seven. So yeah, I wasn't no. sure. I'm trying when to see she came over. No, like pretty much any time they've tried to publish Junji Ito in English in short fiction, the first thing they always do is the Tomie stories. Yeah, because okay. I, I, uh, I grabbed my tablet because I'm actually curious about some of the stuff that could be available digitally. Tomi like I searched Junji Ito, one of like the the second result I got is a Tomie story. Yeah. Anyways, are uh, you finished? Uh yeah, I'm done. Alright, yeah, uh, I agree, like, I thought Austin, like, Soichi's just the worst, but Austin leads so far into being just the worst snotty little punk you ever knew in high school. It is so great. He is so much fun. Like, I feel like if I watch this in the Japanese, the Soichi episodes would be some of my least favorite, but he pulled them up so much just yeah. by himself. He was so fun to listen to. Um... I, mean, I always want to apologize to like the cast that shows up in his episodes, just because there's so much good. There's so much good in here. Yeah. I also like I like Rico Fajardo showing up as as his like kind of put on brother who just doesn't like. Why is my brother such a little weirdo? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, Greg Dolce is the weird old man in the first episode. I also really liked Mary Undell and Jessica Jessica Cavanaugh just being able to go completely nuts as these weird puppet teachers. I like Danny Chambers a lot. Actually, now that I realize that it's kind of funny their relationship, given the relationship that their characters in Ancient Magnus Pride have. Yep. Where they actually like each other. Um, yeah, no, the, these segments ended up. I thought the dub were very, very strong, and I think Austin and the rest of the cast, the respective cast, were a lot of the reason for that. Um, but on that note, we're going to get to our last recurring character. Uh, we're going to get to probably the most important character Jinji Ito has ever created. We're going to get to Tomie. And uh, I say that because, uh, as far as I can tell from my research, the very first, like, published thing Jinji Ito ever did was the first Tomie story. It is basic, she is basically the basis for his fame and success. Uh, and to compound that, in addition, um, Tomie only shows up in one story in this uh, series as this. She's in 9A, Painter. However, uh, when the uh, when the series starts coming out on home video in Japan, they're each uh, the second and third volumes are going to include brand new OVA episodes that adapt other Tomie stories, including that first one. That's the first one that's supposed to come out, which I think is coming out like this month, I think, actually. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah. so hopefully that will, that will pop up on Crunchyroll and later Funimation sometime in the near future. Uh, and Tomie is a Tomie is a fairly big deal. Like between 1999 and 2011, they made nine live action Tomie movies. Jesus, okay. Um, yeah, I, I have like the Tomie collection you can get these days. It is a giant like thirty dollar hardcover that has maybe like twenty five stories in it. That kind of thing. Is it the? Um, uh, is it? Does it have like the? Yeah, it's, it's the black. Yeah, it's cover. the one with like yeah the black the black and yeah, white. Yeah, I'm looking at lettering. I'm looking yeah, at the digital one. one. It's like eleven bucks digitally through Amazon. Yeah, exactly. You no, know, it's it's like she she is a fairly big deal and. 
that's part of the reason why she's getting like the fancy OVA episodes going to her specifically is a lot of the reason why. Like she's pretty big in terms of like Jujito's story, as it were. I mean, uh, she's had what like fifteen live action movies. About nine, nine. I mean, nine as far as I can tell. But like, okay. that's still that's a lot. Yeah. For yeah. like, that's for a character who does not have any real overarching continuity. That's a lot. Yeah, especially for a character who I literally have only ever heard of after watching this. So. <laughs> Oh and boy! For the record, there you go. Like the only other thing that uh, Junji Ito has done that has gotten like a live-action adaptation was uh, Uzumaki. I, I want to say there might also be a live-action version of Gyo, but I might be wrong about that. Okay. It's mostly just Tomie and Uzumaki, though. Okay. Uh, actually, um, but I, it's I think... not live-action Gyo. It's a uh, it's an OVA I know, I know. from uh, the guys who did Fate Zero. No, I know, th- I know that. I want to say there's also a live-action version that's not very well-received because the CGI is garbage. Let's find out. Yeah, that could be. Anyways. Anyways. Doing research um, while we're looking at shit. Indeed. Uh, but, uh, since Tomie is a big deal, they decided, hey, let's bring up the big guns. Who should we get to play Tomie? Who else but Monica Rial? Uh Who you Yay. know for... Like, I feel like if you watch more than, like, four anime series, you've heard Monica Rial at some point. She's in, like, half of everything. Um, she's once I put a like she's she's been in, she's been Razavan she's in Watamode she's um Froppy in My Hero Academia he's like so she's you. in just all sorts of stuff every everyone's favorite best girl um yeah and uh, she's twin star in Silver Guardian because <laughs> <laughs> we just <laughs> talked about that last night uh, oh dear. Uh, okay, yeah, look, apparently Goya, Goya just has that um, that OVA by the looks of it. Alright, I could have sworn there was like a really not well-liked live-action movie, but I could be thinking of something else. Like, this, this was 2012. The, the CGI in Gia was pretty horrible. <laughs> that's true, that's like, right. I mean, really the trailer horrible. scene, you're correct. It's not great. Um, what was I saying? Yes, uh, so... On that note, what do we think of Monica Rial oh, as Tomie? Boy, <laughs> where do we start? Um, it's funny that you brought up Twin Star because this is basically her humanoid form of Twin Star. <laughs> yeah. Really, that's the tone of voice she goes here with. But um, Monica is just so vindictive and is just oozing with like evil in her, and it's it's similar to to um more accurately the comparison could be made to her character of um god queen in vanishing line garo vanishing line like she's this vindictive and evil evil woman and it's just so interesting that she's very very she's capable of being so manipulative with like you need to capture my i want my beauty captured permanently for the world and um, Mike McFarlane, who plays Morty, who is the painter in the in this painter story, um, he he does really well too. Like slowly devolve, dissolve, devolving into this crazy, crazy man. <laughs> like, cause the big thing with Tomie in this story is she hasn't met anyone who's capable of capturing her beauty. Either that, or I just think she likes fucking with people. And it's like, this isn't how the, this isn't kind of Capture on Beauty. Are you kidding me? You think this is beautiful? Like, screwing with people. And it's great. And, um, basically, Tomie is very vindictive and very manipulative. She knows what she wants. She's She knows what she wants. She knows what she's going to say and do to get it. 
Um, Toriye also has a very interesting supernatural ability, though, <laughs> that we don't really get or know until the end of that uh, that story. Oh, she has a lot of those. Yep. I uh, she she has a lot. I mean, of do they those. explain what she is? I have read every Tomie story. No. Oh, no, she oh, just yeah. is. Like it's. I, I it's assume she was some, some like succubus. demonic thing. Apparently, but they don't go into detail on why. She just is. Because why? What? Why? Why that, explain it? That sounds it's, like a recurring theme in Jinji Ito's writing. <laughs> just because why? <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I can understand why they wouldn't want to like flat out explain it because it kind of leaves, it kind of gets rid of the mystery to it. But um. Monica is this vindictive, manipulative woman. Is oh, love it. I don't get to hear Monica be this kind of manipulative, vindictive character, and it was oh, loved it, refreshing. And I oh god, please, please, guys, pick up the OVAs because I want to. I want to hear Monica as Tomie more. Like Tomie in, in and of herself as a character is very, very interesting. And I might end up buying the manga digitally in like five seconds because I want to know more about this fucking character. <laughs> but yeah, I love Monica's performance uh, as Tomie. All right, Roots. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go off of lo- uh, a lot of what Lilac said. Um, Monica does play the sort of seductive malevolence really well. But um, I, I really, Mike McFarland is somebody I really have to shout out from this episode. Yes. Like, he goes from this almost doting, <clears throat> this doting artist to her, because, oh, hey, I get to capture the likeness of someone so beautiful. Oh, God, I can't do it. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like, he tries painting after painting and fails and. And then she leaves and goes to someone else and he ends up murdering this person thinking like, this is my woman! My woman, my muse! Don't you touch her! It's 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 great. Which, um, in and of itself, also, uh, Brian Mathis, who I will get the privilege of talking about in, like, a week or two for for another show, <clears throat> as the, uh, as a sculptor, like, there are a lot of solid performances in this story, and I, I really, I really like the uh, the Tomie story that they picked for mm-hmm. for the main mm. TV episode, and I really hope that the ones that end up being the OVAs are just like batshit crazy. Oh yeah, I know what the first one is. It's fucking nuts. Yay! Good. Oof. And I and I just bought the Tomie manga. Whoops. <laughs> That no no while we're sitting here she I just was the most interesting character I, I know no while we're sitting here I bought the Tomie manga Fragments of Horror and Shiver because Good choices so I bought all three of those because those are available Gyo is available but I'm like eh I'll hold off on that yeah I, I don't really care about <laughs> sharks with legs uh, Uzumaki's really good though I, Uzumaki's not available I don't think I didn't see it listed as digital oh, okay though. I know it's available in print but um yeah, in any case doesn't look like it. Tomie good, Crunchyroll stream those OVAs, Funimation dub them. Yes, please. I want to hear. I want to hear Monica Rial as Tomie more. I, I'm I'm sure Monica would love to play Tomie. Oh God, she know. probably would. Oh yeah, no, you 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 can tell she's having a lot of fun playing. Yeah, she role. well, she loves getting to play characters that are women. So. <laughs> True. Like facts. like, 
she she gets cast so much as the cutesy like voice character so much that I think she loves any opportunity to play a full grown woman. Yeah. Mm. Michiko. While the, yeah. While we're on that uh, while we're on that subject, um, I actually talked about that in, this in the uh, Akata Tonkatsu Ramen's uh, dub talk. Mm-hmm. I really love getting to see Mike McFarlane play a man. Like, playing a full-grown man. Okay. Because... Yeah. Um, because he is one, and he's got the voice of one. And it's really nice to see him be able to use his voice for a grown, mature character. Right. Uh, and the same is said of Monica Rial. These are two of my favorite, like, early 2000s-era VAs. So, and, like... I, I just... First of all, I love Monica and anything she does. Uh, no matter how annoying the character is, I still love her. Um, but, yeah, th- th- this one stood out a lot because net- looking at the history behind this character, it makes sense why this one would feel so polished compared to the other ones. Um, and I, I really think that the two of them made had excellent chemistry for, for this story. I, I think the two of them were really strong in these two roles and while they didn't get to do a lot they both were able to bring their talents to these two characters and especially monica in the case of this very iconic character who i didn't even realize was iconic until we recorded this episode same actually i didn't know that and yeah i think both of them knocked it out of the park with mike playing the the part of the disgruntled artist slash victim of the story and monica playing this succubus type you know evil like vain villain and she doesn't get to play characters like that a lot like the most she's ever gotten to being vain was like michiko right so and yeah i mean that's that's what made this one kind of stand out so yeah those are my thoughts yeah um yeah i was really happy with this episode this is kind of the one i was the most looking forward to slash concerned about just because I feel, you know, they needed to nail Tomie or else this, you know, for one, this would not bode well for this and also not bode well for those OVAs that are hopefully in the pipeline. Uh, and I thought Monica Rial just did a, just did an absolutely fantastic job. She, she just hit the right of like just being so, you know, vain and conceited and not quite evil at first, but just, you know, just, just the worst. Tommy is worst and best girl simultaneously. Yeah, it's, it's true facts, actually. <laughs> um, I know, she, I just thought she did such a wonderful voice, and she clearly had so much fun being able to play this, like, just this nasty piece of work. And I also, I, and, you know, shout out to the other people on this, especially Mike McFarlane, who I thought had a difficult job of having to start out as, like, a normal, fairly sympathetic person and then just slowly have the screws come loose as time goes on. Uh, also, this this episode has my favorite image in the whole show, which is the reveal of uh, Maury's final painting of uh, Tomie. Yeah, I like. I, I have yeah. a small that, gift library now, and that's that's that's, that's gift number one. That's a good one. Uh, I have truly captured the essence of your beauty. Voila. Uh, yeah, no, I I enjoyed this a lot. <laughs> This is very good, and I, too, really hope that whatever deal they have worked out for this, that Crunchyroll can have access to the OVAs, and Funimation can dump them. And then they put it on a set, and I can buy it and have it on my shelf. It'll be great. I know, that'd be great, huh? Uh, I can put next to all my Jujino manga. <laughs> Yay! Uh, yay! No, uh, I, I, but I think mm-hmm. with Mike McFarlane, it's interesting that we were talking about how he slowly devolves into a crazy character. I mean, this isn't the first time that's happened for him. 
<laughs> uh, we want to talk about Natsuno's dad, Shiki. <laughs> oh, he is Natsuno's dad. I forgot yep, about that. He's Natsuno's dad, and oh, Natsuno's boy. dad just slowly devolves into crazy town, more crazy than the painter in this story. But oh my god, <laughs> like Mike, Ooh, Mike don't is let really the creepy good at- kid in, you dumb dumb. I mean, Mike Mike is really good at these normal characters just slowly devolving into crazy, and it's just, you, he just has so much fun with it, it's great. And on that note, unless anyone has any uh, final thoughts about this, let's move on to final thoughts in general. Woohoo! Uh, what a, what a, you know, um, Lilac, what, a, what, do you, what do you have to say? That I'm happy I got to talk about a horror anime. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot fewer of them than you, than you feel, you'd think they are, aren't there? I know! sad and because this is probably what the second time we really talked about a horror show after shiki yeah pretty much pretty much and it's i mean you could probably count parasite Eh, to a point i mean that's i mean that's the thing where like that's that's horror but there's also a lot of action in that yeah yeah i kind of find that the same way of like helsing we're like it is it is horror but it's about and then in the case of like shiki that's more supernatural but you could also argue the same thing with juji ijo because half the shit in the fucking show is supernatural based (laughs) yeah um i mean divine gate oh sorry that was a horrible show (laughs) 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 i thought you had to forgive divine gate after silver guardian though (laughs) Yeah, I know, but you were the one who said you kind of liked it. So. Silver Guardian, well, fair, fair, true facts. I well, but you didn't like Silver Guardian. Um, <laughs> no, but as everyone here knows, probably at this point, horror, mystery, psychological—that's my fucking jam. <laughs> um, it's my favorite genre that I get to watch and talk about. And um, with with Junji Ito, the show itself is an interesting amalgamation of all these different stories that you get to see. All these different all these different kinds of horror all these different kinds of supernatural and you get to see how these different tales unfold and um while you could possibly see some of these characters having a full series of to themselves like tomie uh suichi or fuchi i think the show it works really well as an anthology series though some of the stories uh may not have resonated or hit home for me uh and weren't that good uh the the show in general was still a fun amalgamation of all these different kinds of stories um the dub itself is really good um not only is mike mcfarland as a director really good with the small projects and some of my favorite work that he does as a director he's really good at like the horror mystery kind of stuff and it's so much fun to see that happen and again i have to give him and terry props for casting this fucking show because it was probably a nightmare (laughs) this revolving door of a cast basically (laughs) essentially just like let him through let him in just go um because there was a lot of performances for each of these stories that was just so much fun uh and you can tell that some of the actors who played more of the villainous or creepy kind of roles had way too much fun for their own goddamn good um but in general, the dub itself is a lot of fun. It's a f- it's a fun horror show. It's not going to be for everyone, uh, obviously for reasons. Uh, but it it is a fun watch. It is a lot of fun to get into. Uh, I don't suggest starting with any Soichi stories though, because you're because if you start with a Soichi story, you might like run for the hills in like five seconds flat because that kid's a little shit. 
But um, yeah, it's it, it it's a fun horror show with a really fun and uh, and solid dub attached to it. So um, if you if you love horror like I do, then you're gonna enjoy this one. Excellent, Roots. Yeah, um, I'll keep this short and simple. Uh, as kind of disappointing as the animation is, uh, the dub actually makes it a very fun show, and I, I would actually recommend it dubbed over the sub. Honestly. Hmm. Okay. I haven't seen. I haven't really seen the Japanese, so I can't make that argument. Like it's it's okay, but it the uh, the dub performances kind of just make it <laughs> especially stuff like soichi and fuji and tomoe like there are a lot of standout stuff um and by the way my my favorite little thing because it didn't end up getting talked about is the uh the circus episode oh yeah, <laughs> Ooh, yeah that was a weird one. one that was a strange one but it was so good <laughs> Poor, poor, poor. Yeah, who was, it was it? Was Caitlin Barr who was the who was the tightrope walker, walker right? Yeah. I believe so. Poor yeah, Caitlin yeah. Barr. <laughs> but I I really like it when Junji Ito gets weird. It's kind of a shame that the the director and studio dean weren't able to quite capture the strangeness mm-hmm. of Junji Ito's manga. But it's okay, and dub's really good. So do, I I would say check it out. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, lack. Yeah, I would say check it out because it's kind of an important part of, like, manga history. Right. That's been adapted. Um, I didn't particularly care for it. I didn't I didn't like the way that Studio Dean kind of handled it because a lot of the stories felt very lopsided in their, like, pacing. Um, but I do think it might be worth it to check it out, and I think the dub is very strong. Uh, especially, like, the later episodes. Especially with... And it's... It might actually be worth it to just watch the Tomie episode. Yeah. Just because, mm. especially with the OVAs coming out. So, I, I really don't have that much to say. The dub is good. I don't know if you're going to find the show that interesting, especially if you were looking for a more intense horror. Um, and if, yeah, I mean, I can't really speak because I don't really know anything about Jinji Ito as a creator. Um, so, I don't know. I, I just, I wasn't really blown away, but I thought the dub was so uh yeah no i i generally enjoy the show i do kind of agree i do wish this had been in the hands of a stronger studio and director mm-hmm. um oddly enough actually i think something that might have harmed it is that it's in color because i think a lot of what yes, makes artwork i totally like i would it would have been so much better black and white no it, yeah. it, it, like i feel like a lot of what makes what makes his art the thing that, one of the things that makes his art pop is that it's in black and white with all this heavy shading, and I imagine that might be kind of hard to reproduce in like, especially like a long form thing, something that's not just like a movie or a short OVA or something like that. Right. But I actually think that would have helped the visuals a lot, and I'm sure like there's all sorts of commercial reasons for why that wouldn't have been very practical. But I part of me wishes that they had gone for those kind of creative decisions. Mm. So guys, um, when the it. Blu-ray comes out, turn. <laughs> <laughs> Change your remote. Get your remote. Turn the saturation all the way down. Yep. (laughs) If you have Funimation now when you're streaming it, just turn down the contrast. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Make your your own black and white TV show. (laughs) Um, 
However, despite those flaws, I did enjoy this a lot. Part of it was just the thrill of seeing the stuff I like get adapted for in like a, another medium. And part, especially I think the dub made this very strong. I think a lot of stuff that might have fallen a little flatter in the Japanese were like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really understand the language. Appreciating the actual acting going on is often a little bit harder. Having, having it be in English and with such strong performances all around really helped that in my mind. Um... So yeah, I would I would recommend this. I would probably not start with episode one. I would recommend like nine, which is the one with the Tomie story. Yeah. I also thought um, episode two, which is the one with the uh, fu the first Fuchi story and the long dream one, and also episode four, which has um, what is that? Uh, that's the one with Shiver, and it also has a story that we didn't talk about that I enjoyed a lot called Marionette Mansion. Oh that yeah, was very upsetting. that was a good one too. And I like I like that one a lot as well. I I would kind of I would recommend maybe starting with those ones to get a taste of whether mm -hmm. or not Judy Ito is for you because you know he's it's not for everybody at the end of the day, um, and then going from there. Um, also, if you are interested in Junji Ito, as I mentioned, a bunch of his stuff has gotten into English. Uh, you can a, a lot of it's from Viz. You can get Uzumaki, which is about spirals, uh, Gyo, which is about uh, fish monsters that are powered by farts and burps. <laughs> uh, you have it's true. What read it? It's true. Oh God. <laughs> Wow. Uh, that one, that one also has uh, uh, that one also has uh, the enigma of uh, Amigara Fault at the end of it. So if you like that story, that's the one to pick up. That's the uh, one I wish so much that this I know. I, I, I wish I, I do wish that would have been adapted, but it was not to be. Uh, you can get Tomie, you can get Fragments of Horror, which is a more recent short story collection. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at it right now because uh, Fragments of Horror, based on the description, it looks like. Yeah, this is this is like his return to horror vomit yeah, after it, like a six year break. It looks like possibly the bridge story is in here. It looks I th no the uh, the horror. I don't think the bridge story is in here, but the the gentle goodbye one that oh yeah gentle goodbye would be in yeah. there, and then God what's the shiver one has shiver obviously yeah and, uh, and yeah. then it looks yeah, it does about it does about like half of these actually. yeah like if if you if you enjoy the, the stories in this one in particular because the first the first Fuji story is in here. Um... Mm -hmm. And what? Honored Ancestors is in here. Greece oh, is in here. That's... Long Dreams in here. <laughs> Honored Ancestors. Ooh, now I'm going to uh, have a fun time. It, all, it, all, it also has a story called Hanging Blimps, which is about people being menaced by these giant blimps that have people's faces on them, which is a completely bonkers story. <laughs> I wish they'd adapted for this. Oh, God. That one's great. Yeah, I'm um, excited. I, 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 again, I just bought three of these digitally. I'm ready. I'm excited now. <laughs> uh, in, it, in addition to that, you can get a, a one-off from Vertical called Dissolving Classroom, which is even grosser than Greased. Oh, great. Yeah. You can believe it. It is even more disgusting. And uh, you can, of course, get the most horrifying thing Junjito's ever done from Kodansha, Cat Diary, a, a journal comic about him dealing with his wife's cats who don't like him very much. Nice. Hmm. I saw that. And, it is uh, it is available digitally, and I'm like, nah. And uh, if you thought Greased was pretty damn gross... <laughs> Wait till you have to see him deal with cat poop. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Great. Oh, yes. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and so that's where you can find more Junji Ito. Uh, but let me tell you about where you can find more of us. Uh, if you want to follow Dub Talk, obviously you're probably watching this on our YouTube page, so hit uh, like and subscribe if you don't mind. Uh, and you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, at Twitch, at uh, some whatever variation of uh, Dub Talk podcast would be appropriate for that platform. Basically. Uh, so follow so follow us, keep up with our updates, watch our things. Uh, Lilac, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, first of all, where can they find the Junji Ito collection if they want to watch the show? Oh, if they want to find the Jinji Ito collection, uh, you can find that in Japanese on Crunchyroll, and you can find it dubbed on Funimation.com. 
Uh, and Funimation, uh, for, to watch more than for the first two episodes, you will need a subscription, which I think is $7 a month, if memory serves. I think it's like Pretty six. Six is six. Seven, yeah. Okay, yeah, six. Six sounds right. Somewhere around there. Um, you can get it. You can try it out for two weeks for free. But do note they will ask for your credit card information, and if you do not cancel before that two week period is over, they will start charging you for it. But if you find that you really like having access to Funimation, keep that subscription. It'll pay off in the long run. Uh-huh. Trust me. Okay, back to the other thing. Um, you, yes. you can. I like. Where can we find you? <laughs> You can follow me on Twitter. I like Amy Review with review being spelled R E V U E, where I have a basically my life is boring. No one wants to hear about it because there's nothing much going on in my life uh, outside of me, outside of me collecting gifts and starting a library library because fucking finally, um, and also potentially starting gift wars <laughs> with Clifford Chapin because why the fuck not. Oh, but um, no, like otherwise than that, that's probably the main, if you're interested in following anything I do, that's the main place to do it, where I just ramble and talk about stupid life and shit. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Uh, Roots, where can people find you? All right. Well, you can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice, Uh, mainly just kind of retweet funny stuff and animal pics. Uh, Sometimes I, I talk suspicions about anime stuff. Not quite tinfoil hat kind of things. But, um, yeah, and also eventually blog and stuff on my own YouTube page. Eventually. I'm I'm just looking for a muse right now. Hopefully it won't be like Tomie kind of muse, but... Oh god, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go for that. It'll end badly for everybody. Yes. Uh, Lack, where can people find you? Where can you find me? You can find me at Lack the Watcher on Twitter, which will pretty much link you to everything else you need to know about me. Um, pretty much what I'm doing right now is I'm just reviewing older anime, usually stuff from the 70s to the 90s. Though if I find something from the 60s that I can review, I'll review that too. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. I'm, I've kind of, I've kind of been a little like waiting with uh with voice acting but i i am gonna get back into it once this cough of mine is cleared up hopefully um and yeah pretty much that's that's what i'm up to right now you can just pretty much follow me on twitter so all right and uh you can find me at twitter at uh i'm on dual us uh dual has two u's in it uh, you can go to my very infrequently updated blog at worldthatscoming.blogspot.com. You can admire the cobwebs and the poor lighting. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I'll leave you today with a uh, not just one dusty old song recommendation, but in fact two, because uh, one of my favorite parts about this series are the opening and ending songs, which I both adore equally. Mm. They're both very much my jam. And uh, if you like the if you like the ending. I would highly recommend you check out the song Ice Cream by Battles, which is a little, a little heavier, but the same kind of like strange, mathy weirdness. Uh, and if you enjoy the opening, I would highly recommend you check out uh, the grandfathers of that kind of weird rockabilly horror rock, uh, The Cramps, and I would particularly recommend their song Human Fly, which is about being a human fly. <laughs> because, of course, it is. That works, because why the fuck not? <laughs> All right, and on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys! Bye! <laughs> Fuji is best girl. <laughs> Otaku on the dubas. Yee. Good night, nerds.